Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Third and Nerd Podcast. It has been a while. It has been a long while. But after speaking with all the members of the Third and Nerd team that have gone on, and and it's funny because we're going to be talking about the X-Men here in a little, which will make more sense a little bit later on. No, not Kitty Pride and Colossus. Much cooler than that. But, uh, uh... A lot of us have gone on and, and, and actually grabbed new jobs, so the podcast has sort of fallen by the wayside, but now we're bringing it back with a rotating cast of characters to meet everyone's current demands, and I am pleased to introduce my new co-host, all the way from the land down under, Mr. Adam Howes. Adam, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Ah, it's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. So, tell the little people, or tell the people a little about yourself. Okay, so, um, first time podcaster. Um, been wanting to do it for some time, but uh, never really sort of popped the cherry, just due to other time commitments and other hobbies and interests and uh, and whatnot. Um, but a uh, bit about myself, I'm massively into the NBA. Um have followed it, written about it, blogged about it, talked about it for the last 25 plus years. Um, during that time, I've also managed to uh, trek all the way from Australia to America to cover some games and uh, meet some people along the way and whatnot. Um, but unfortunately, uh, the blogging world of, of basketball is very hard to crack and um, after having my own website and, you know, writing for other sites and whatnot, I, I, I decided to give that away um, just because it's, it's, it's very hard also in terms of when you're battling the time zone uh, difference between Australia and Melbourne because we're a day in the future. Um, that you, it's, it's sort of hard to sort of catch up on things when you're going to sleep at night and you're waking up and a lot of news has transpired and, you know, you, you're sort of trying to, you know, chase your own tail. So... Um, with that said, I now still follow the league and, you know, talk about it online and mainly on Twitter and, um, you know, and have heavily vested interest in it, uh, even though my team, the Bulls, uh, a stink and they're not really in contention at the moment. Um, but besides that, I'm into all sorts of other things from Star Wars to Marvel Comics, uh, I collect sneakers. I mean, so massively into to rap music. Um, movies are a big, big passion of mine. So, you know, I'm a little bit of a, a mixed bag of, of, of things. You know, you, you know that from my Twitter feed, though, if you follow me. I don't know, both you and Doc do. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell, man. And our guest, Doc. Now, you have a rather interesting story, too. See... We were just talking, I forget what brought us together. We were just BSing. And then I, 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 oh, I remember what it was. My buddy, so my buddy says, he writes this tweet that, that metal bands, uh, he was, generic metal bands shouldn't be allowed to cover great songs. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And he sends me the link to Bad Wolf Zombie. And I'm listening to this thing. And I'm waiting for it to get bad, right? Because when, when a friend of yours tells you, oh, this is going to be bad, you just kind of wait for it. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and nothing happens. This is just a fucking good song. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, what was your beef with this? 
And so I started listening to the entire album, uh, uh, Disobey, when you guys put it out. And I come to discover that you were actually in a band that I used to listen to back in the day. And God forbid, what a coincidence. Uh, so run us through a little bit of your, of your musical world, Doc. Like, how, how did Doc come to be? Well, so that my original band, God Forbid, I started in high school, actually, with uh, my brother and some other guys that lived near us. And I basically I did that for half my life. Basically, I started the band in six, when I was 16, quit the band when I was 32. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I spent my entire 20s on the road and we had decent success, you know, sold a bunch of records, did, you know, toured the world. And, um, you know, things kind of were, it was reaching its like logical c- conclusion I guess. And, you know, during that time, after that, you know, I played with Lamb of God, filled in on tour with them, opening for Metallica. I played with a band called Darkest Hour, a band called Unearth. And then I moved to L.A. and started uh, st- started this band, Bad Wolves. And, uh, you know, well, I joined, I, I should say I joined, you know, it was it was kind of already gone before I, uh, um, before I joined. But, yeah, man, this, this song hit, the zombie cover, and it's kind of changed all our lives, man. It, it's been... You know, it's the number one rock song in in America right now. It's it hit number one on iTunes, the the entire iTunes chart in the states. We beat like Drake and Kelly Clarkson, and uh, hit number one in in uh, Canada. Actually, and the the record just dropped. We were n- number two on Billboard. It was top ten in Australia. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so you know, went gold in a couple of countries. So yeah, it's you know we're you know we're doing arena tours. It's it's really really ta- taken off. But um. Yeah, and I'd say with, with regards to NBA, you know, I'm just a massive fan since I was young. And I, I, I had a metal, uh, a basketball blog on an, a metal site called metalsucks.net called HoopLogic. I did for a couple of years. And then I also worked for the NBA for the All-Star Game a couple of years back doing production. And I'm just a super fan. And, uh, you know, and I try and do, you know, so on my podcast, I'll have people on, but I'll... If if I know they're uh, an NBA fan, I'll I'll talk. So I had like Zach Johnson from Shinedown on the show, and we did you know last twenty minutes or so. We'll just do hoops talk. So I always try try and make it uh, my, you know put my passions out there, and that's definitely a, a big one. Nice. So you, now you didn't you never told me that uh, you you did stuff with Unearth. Um, see, I, I love Trevor. I mean. Dude might be probably one of the craziest guys I've ever see. Unearth is probably just one of my favorite bands. Oh yeah, amazing. I, I absolutely love them. I mean, you guys did stuff with Century Media, right? Yeah, we put out our four, so, four albums. Did you know Joy Skinner? Oh uh, yeah, of course. I know Joy. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, Joy was one. Joy is one of my old good friends uh, from back in the day. We actually met when I took a buddy. Um, Rich Hall up to uh, they were starting that A and R off of uh, off of uh, Century Media, and they wanted Rich to head it up. I took him out there, and I got stuck at the front desk while he was doing his interview, just hanging out with Joy, and we kind of game good friends after that. So <laughs> I got to thinking about that too. But um, yeah, man. So all right. I, I have to. I know we we, we always talk sports, or we're, we're going to talk a crap ton of sports on this. But I got to know, man. I'm watching that video that you guys put out, and on the day, it, it, this is a true story. On the day that she died, Dolores O'Riordan, the lead singer of the Cranberries, 
she was actually set to come and record vocals over the version that you guys had done. Is that how that gone down? You guys had already sent her everything, and she's like, I'm in? Yeah, I mean, you know, from my perspective, a lot of the stuff was happening behind the scenes. You know, I mean, truth be told, you know, we're part of a very big operation between our, our record label, our manager. Um, and so our singer was kind of the one, you know, the, doing the song was his idea, and he was kind of dealing with the label side of it. So we kind of, we heard it was happening, but it wasn't like, people were uh, updating us to the minute. So really we found out that she was supposed to record the stuff that day. And then she died kind of when the public found out, you know, we found out at the same time. And essentially what happened was she, the last voicemail she ever left um, while she was alive, she it was her talking about the song and how much she liked it. So because of that, our band essentially, became part of her obituary you know it was part of the story of how she passed so it kind of it attracted all this you know attention in in mainstream media um, i mean anything you can think of cnn the guardian um bbc i mean everything um and so then when we decided to put the song out and donate the money to her family and make it a tribute a lot of that same media uh you know released the song and so it just, it really was like an overnight thing. I mean, I think it came out and it hit number one on the rock charts on the iTunes within a day or two. Well, actually, no, it, um, what happened? Uh, Howard Stern played it the Monday. It came out on Friday that Monday. Howard Stern played it on his show and it went to number one on the rock charts on iTunes. And it kind of like, yeah, it just developed a life of its own. Um, and yeah, it's, it's obviously the tragedy is, um, is obvious and, um, and it was heavy, you know, it was just like that, those early days, you know, were just heavy, heavy times because this thing is kind of developing its own natural momentum. But, you know, um, but it's also just this success element that's helping our band. So it's, a, it was, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very bittersweet and, and a lot of conflicting emotions, you know. It sure seems like, at least from my perspective, too, that you have to have a certain grace and tact to be able to deal with this. Because on the one hand, you're getting ready to record. And then, then on the other hand, through, through, you know, no real action of your own or intent, you know, should I say, now you're caught up in the in, in the story of the death of, of somebody majorly famous and, and who contributed so much to the music world. As you said, you're almost caught up in her obituary bit of elegance and grace with the way that you guys have, have handled this situation and it's easy to see maybe I don't want to say a lesser group but maybe a not as experienced group not being able to sort of navigate these waters with, with the care and trepidation that they deserve when something like this happens yeah well I think a lot of that has to do with our singer Tommy who um, he's very active in the uh, sober community and the AA community. So he does a lot of public speaking. Um, and he, he really understands how to speak sensitively about a lot of this stuff. Um, and so like I said, since it was his idea and, you know, I think the connection is kind of the strongest with him. And so, because he's such a great representative of the band and knows how to kind of put things in a, in a, in a, in a certain way, in a very human way, you know, I think that's kind of helped helped it. And, I, and, I, and I, like I said, a lot of people are like, well, you know, really glad that you're giving the money to the family. But it's like, I don't know if we could have put it out otherwise. You know, I think it would look, 
it would just wouldn't look great otherwise. Right. So it's like to me that that's the only real thing you can do. Um, and I don't feel bad about that at all. I think it's just it's it's the least we can do, to be honest. And, and I think Neo's kind of cool. So it's hard to try to cut you off, but uh, no worries. Um, you know, members of her family reached out and oh, really awesome. uh, appreciated it, and the country of Ireland really um, embraced the song. We went and played on their biggest late night show out there, and um, and so the fact that you know the people closest to her seem to. Uh, enjoy what we've done and respect what we've done. I think that's the best validation we can have. It was crazy because I I'd listened to the song one time. That was this is the same night where my buddy tells me about that, and I click on the YouTube link, and then I walk back in because I have my office in one room of the house. I walk back into my bedroom where my wife and, and my best friend are hanging out. We're all watching movies because that's where the big ass TV is. And uh, they're like, "Who the hell was that?" And I'm like, "Why?" And they're like, "That was really good." And I'm like, I know, right? And I told him the story about Matt. We're just going to keep bashing Matt on this podcast. Um, and I told a story about how Matt had tried to set me up to fail by saying it was awful. And she's like, obviously, he needs to get bionic ear implants or something. Because, But, but I just, I, I don't know. There's something about that. Because I grew up, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, the cranberries are my childhood, you know? Like... I remember Linger just hanging out on boats in the summer with girls singing along to Linger. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's surely a fascinating story. Uh, Adam, why don't you go ahead and jump in here? What you got, bud? Yeah, I, I was just thinking about it myself. Like the first time I heard it was when um, Josh, you know, told me to have a listen to it because I, I hadn't come across it. Um, obviously, I knew the original. Um, I was a teenager, I think, when that when that came out. It was, it was around 94, I want to say. So the song is, what, now pushing 25 years old. Like, I think the beautiful thing is that that, that you've brought it back um, into the spotlight. And so not only are you guys going to gain fans from it, but your song being a hit, but it's putting a spotlight back on a band that had a hell of a run for a short amount of time that a lot of people wouldn't know about, like, the youth of today, for instance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of times when you when you have a song like this that because here's the thing, a lot of people do lots of covers of popular songs and they don't and they're not always a hit or they're not always they don't really enter the the zeitgeist in a way like this one. It's in a way it's been like a phenomenon, like it's kind of taken on its its own its own life, and that speaks to how uh, gr great and brilliant the original song and timeless it was mm. um, because. The lyrics, the lyrical content, and the emotion of it still, people still identify with it. Like you know, it 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 carries on, and and so it's that's the thing is if you have something that that happens to work twenty years again after it was it was already a hit, that's really all credit has to go to the songwriters and the and the, and the presentation. And and I think and I do think you know the, what we did and the the tone of uh, my singer's voice, it gives it a completely different complexion, and especially with the uh, the music video. Being that it, that it's a tribute, I, I think um, everyone really did a great job, and you know, kind of, there's a you know, there's a real I think tasteful and elegant um, you know way they treated the, the the music video, and I think that people are connecting to that as well. Yeah, very much so. Like the, the video is striking, like the whole black backdrop and with the gold, the, the focus on on the girl in the, with the gold. Um, yeah, like liquid, like it stands out. It really pops. Yeah, no, definitely. 
I, all right, so I am curious. I, I asked you this question on Twitter the other day. You, I, I hit you with the five boroughs, but your top five New York hardcore bands. <laughs> see, Long, Long, Island, Long Island doesn't count. See, well, here's, here's well, I think this is, this is tough because I think if you go outside, you know, I, even though I was in the hardcore scene, I was never the biggest fan of just pure hardcore music. So I, yeah. think, so I think I'm the wrong person to ask because the bands I would like, it would be like a vision of disorder or, I love that, you know, Marauder, you know, um, bands like that. I mean, but the thing is, I think if you were to put together that list, you know what the list is. It's Madball, Mad not Ball. the front, six cars, at all, you know, um, What's what I think of uh, uh, Chromags, H2O, Starhead, probably. Yeah, it's like you know, it's um, we already know who the best New York hardcore bands are and the most impactful. So it's almost like if you go against that, then it's is it sacrilege because you leave Madball off? Is it sacrilege because you leave Sick of It All off? Probably Agnostic Front. You know, you can't. Those are the Godfathers, so you have to give them their due. You know. Did you ever listen to Barrett? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, I love, you're going like, I know, real right? Deep, real deep in, in, the, in, in the rabbit hole. Well, because I, you, I, um, I used to go to about every Bane show that I could. And Zach always promised me that he was going to bring me a Barrett album because I was like, dude, you need to give me, I, I need my A Planet Wide. It just has to happen. Get it to me. And he always used to promise that he would bring it to me. Uh, unfortunately, it, it, it never happened. But so now I, I just always hold on to Barrett when I talk to somebody from that region. I'm like, that's my, you know, I'm good band. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a, that's what they call a deep cut in the, uh, in, in the biz when you're we're talking about like this the the that was like the more metalcore side project from the dudes from Bane, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. It deep was, cuts. And I, you know, I tend to love. I'm with you. I tend to love metalcore more. I mean, I like me some some agnostic front pro mag and Madball, but I, I'm definitely a. You know, I like Unearth. I like that stuff. It's Morning Again, uh, all 50,000 members of Shy Halud, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, like I said, you're going like, you're going for that mid-late 90s, you know, yeah. kind of se seven-inch era, like pre-internet stuff that you have, you kind of had to be there. To, exactly. Uh, to hear that stuff. That was, that was my passion. All right, so... Now, I, I want to go, I want to take two different roads here, and then, Adam, you can jump back in. I want to know how you become cool. a man and the NBA man, because you are a passionate, passionate man about both things. Now, nobody should ever assume that everybody is one thing, but I'm always curious how people become multiple things. So how do you go from rocking out with your jock out to just sitting down and, you know, the half-court press? Well, I mean, I guess when I was a kid, I was I was into really all the sports, mainly baseball and basketball, I guess. I don't know. I just I don't know if it's just through osmosis or picking it up through just living in the city. But basketball just, you know, just something about actually I, I, I know what it is. It was really two things. It was peak Michael Jordan 
and the Patrick Ewing New York Knicks. That rivalry was just so kinetic. Um, and having some so a team like that to root for had to this day, it, I think the personality of that that New York Knicks team kind of almost has defined what we think we want out of a, a New York team. And and Michael Jordan being, you know, in a way the ultimate villain from my perspective because it, even though you loved him, you just could never beat him, you, and you really never thought you really could. Um, you know, so I think that entry point really got got me into it. And the way I am with anything, I mean, I when I get into something, I get into it a hundred percent. I can't just be a fair weather basketball fan. I can't just be a fair weather metal fan. I can't, you know, like same thing with comic books. I have to collect all the comic books. When it was, you know, when I'm in the action movies, I got to watch all the action movies. So I think I just go full steam. And then what happened was my band got so busy around the mid, like early 2000s, that I kind of fell out of basketball for like five years. So I almost missed the like Kobe, Shaq era, you know, the early like Tim Duncan years. I kind of missed that. And I got back in essentially when LeBron got really great and took that team to the finals. It kind of re, re, it, it got, it got my enthusiasm up. And then the 2008 Celtics, I love that team. And then I kind of, each year, I just got more and more and more and more. And now I'm just, uh, Adam, look, I'm just I'm just sort of chuckling to myself because of what Doc just said because it's pretty much an exact sort of carbon copy of my story. Like, I ca I came in my my entry level to the NBA was was Michael Jordan. Um, you know, hence I became a Bulls fan, um, and you know from there I followed it until like the early 2000s when I, when I dropped out of it. Um, just before that, uh, it wasn't because I started a rock band though. It was because I was going out nightclubbing and, you know, I discovered a whole new world of, of entertainment. So, um, you know, but then I came back in around about the time LeBron led, uh, I think it was uh, the Cavs versus, um, Spurs. versus, uh, the Spurs. Yeah. When they got swept yeah. and, um, from there, uh, the Bulls, they had, they got, they got Noah around that time. Then they got D Rose and. That was it. I was back in, and it was you know, full fledged fandom once again. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting. Um, but uh, in terms of, of your Knicks, Doc, let's let's talk about that for a second. Who's your your sure. favorite Nick of all time? My favorite Nick of all time. Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Probably Allen Houston. Oh, that's an interesting pick. Yeah, man. I. Yeah, I mean, I think Al Houston probably, you know, one of the top five prettiest jump shots ever. I think, like, Allen Houston in today's NBA would be amazing. He would kill it. Um, 100%. You know, ball good size. Um, you know, and, he, and, he, and I think he, you know, was just re reaching his, um, his potential. And then the injury problems kind of ended his career early. But, yeah, Allen Houston, man, is just like everything I love in a, in a, in a basketball player. Nice, nice. Yeah, that uh, that team with him and Sprewell, the one that uh, they got to the finals, didn't they? Uh, By the way, that team, that yeah, team. 99. Think about it. Think about yeah. it. Think about that team. If you Camby, right? Like, think about small ball, right? Camby, mm -hmm. Larry Johnson, Sprewell, and um, Allen Houston. Like that team would have killed today too. I think they would have been really good. You know, get you know, put another shooter at the one, but that was like. You know, like a mobile big who can who guard pick pick and rolls and protect the rim. You know, that was yeah. like 
it was a really interesting interesting team, you know. Yeah, they had, they still had Ewing on that team as well. Yes, but he see, but he got hurt. What happened was so I just rewatched right. like one of these documentary these little mini documentaries about it because um, I forgot what happened was he they beat the uh, the Heat because they were the AC they beat the Heat and then they beat they swept I think the Atlanta Hawks or something and then in the series against Indiana. Ewing got hurt, and they won anyway the last couple games. And then, of course, they got smashed by the Spurs. But you have to think, if you have a, a Ewing in there, maybe you don't have the Twin Towers, you know, just you know, crapping on you for four straight games because that was a beatdown. Yeah. Yeah, look, they were unlucky, man. Um, you know, Sprewell was a hell of a player. He was one of my favorites, you know, outside of the Bulls. It was would have been nice to see those guys get a title, but alas... See, I'm, a, I'm a Pistons fan. I remember, see, I got to make a bet when I when I first moved to Bakersfield. We were sitting in the bar, and this is the year, the uh, 04 Pistons. I think at that point it held uh, 13 NBA teams to under 60 points that year. It was like a ridiculous record Jeez. because they were just smothering teams. And this guy was like, dude, the Lakers are going to beat the Pistons handily. And I'm like, okay, bro, whatever you say. I'm like, I made him a bet. I'm like, not only are the Pistons going to win this series, but they're going to hold the Lakers to under 70 points. And the guy's like, you're out of your mind. Sure enough, they split game one and two because Kobe had to have that miracle shot. Um, but then game three came around and Detroit beat the ever-loving hell out of them. Holding them to under 70 points, just like I said they would. Uh, that guy was supposed to buy my drinks for an evening. I never saw him again. So, <laughs> so, so, so guess what I did? I, I, I got so d- deep in the woods. This is after LeBron, I think, beat, um, won his last championship. And I started to think, and I was like, this championship, him, you know, them beating the Warriors who won 73 games, I'm like, this would count as like three championships. Right. I started thinking. So I went back and I I created this formula (laughs) to determine how strong every team that went to the finals was like. So so eventually I took all these things, you know, I took, you know, how, you know, where the person was drafted, how many all star games, how many all uh, NBA teams, PER, win shares, all this stuff to like determine. So each team would get have like a score of like how how talented uh the team was, you know, so I went back and looked at that, that, that series in, in particular, it was interesting about the Pistons where they were probably the most balanced team that has ever even been in a finals where the, um, they didn't have a super high, like one guy that was above everyone, but they also didn't, it didn't fall off that much between the first guy and the fifth guy, you know? So that was one of the interesting things, but I think that, the worst player in the starting five, if you, if you count overall ability, it was probably Ben Wallace. I would say Ben Wallace because Prince ben, provided a hell of a lot of utility and length. Ben Wallace was like a four-time defensive player of the year. But he's like a four-time defensive player of the year. He's a six-time All-Star. Who had the crucial block? Who had the crucial block against Indiana? You're going to tell me. Uh, Tayshaun Prince. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying he was – you know, if you're winning defensive players of the year, that's yeah. Really you're crazy, right. You know? You're right. I just love Tayshawn Prince. I'm I'm standing for him, Doc. Don't no. He was really good. He was really good, and he was really good. And that's and, and that's my point. But then, if you look at 
So if you look at the Lakers, despite being very top-heavy and the fact that Carl Malone got hurt, once past their top three guys, um, you know, Kobe, Shaq, and Gary Payton, it was one of the biggest drop-offs in talent. Where if, so, so even though that team, theoretically, if all those four guys were, were healthy, they would have probably had a much better shot of winning. But it was a very distinct, when you look at the actual numbers of the, 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 you know, the, the, the way the talent was divided, it was a very distinct difference. You know? so, so even though that team on paper looked like they were great, the, the supporting cast was by far the worst of any of the, the Kobe, anytime Kobe had, was like at the finals. It was pretty brutal on that bench. So something to be considered. Um. I'm just looking at their their roster now, and I'll, I'll run you through some names of that roster from the the o three o four season. All right, just to further enhance your point, Doc. So you got Chucky Atkins, uh, Eldon Campbell, Tremaine Felks, who I don't even know who that is, um, Darv, Darvin Ham, uh, Lindsey Hunter. He wasn't too bad. Mike James. No. They had Dark. They had Darko, uh, Mehmet Okur. Um, Oh, man, I can't even pronounce this guy's name. It's Zelkio Rabraka. Uh, they had a well, Bob Sura, and I haven't included the main guys, which is Wallace Sheed, uh, Rip Hamilton, and of course Chauncey, and that's pretty. Uh, and Tayshon Prince. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, they're they're like top seven. We're solid. Eldon Campbell, I thought was actually a pretty good player. Um, yeah, but I'm, but, yep, but I'm talking more about the Lakers. Tell me, look at the Lakers. After the top four guys, it fell off a mountain. Like if you look at like their PERs, these guys were like posting like ten PERs. Like it was. Brutal. Oh my bad, my bad. Yeah, I was looking. I was looking at the wrong team. Okay, so hang on. I've got, I've got <laughs> the Lakers. I've got the Lakers up on the screen now. Hang on one second, one second. Okay, so yeah, you got. So you got Kobe. You got Shaq. You got. Gary Payton, he was pretty old by then, too. Car- by the- yep, Carl Malone NBA. was like 39. Yeah, they had Horace Grant as well, who once again was getting up in years then. Um, Rick Fox was still serviceable at that point. But besides that, oh, man, it's yeah, it's a big drop-off. <laughs> well, you have to it's look, big- but I don't think all those guys were healthy, though. You have to look. So what I did no. when I, when I, what I did when I did my, um, my research – I found, I went to the actual finals, saw who played, and, and basically looked at basically the top the top eight guys in minutes played. You know, so that's how I basically figured out because basically once you get to the finals, only like seven or eight guys are playing anyway. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so I don't know if all those guys were even healthy for the for the finals. So even if they might have had oh, yeah. some decent decent talent to start the year, that doesn't mean they they ended the year with that talent. So I want to ask because and I'm not and I'm not trying to linger into the debate of greatness or anything like that, but I am curious about this. You know, I've seen people bitch after the um, the the Cavaliers beat the Celtics, saying great. You know, Cavs versus uh, Warriors four, just what we were all looking for. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, why wouldn't you want that? You have the best player in the game today going up against arguably the best team in the game today. Like, what else did you want? Like, what what was your option? Golden State beating down somebody else handily? Like, I, I don't know. I think it depends how you, how you, how you look at it. I mean, I'm, I, for one, 
and you know, ever since Durant went to the Warriors, I've been just anti the Warriors. I just, I just don't. I, I think they've put forth I a get competitive it. advantage in a way that the league has never seen since probably the, you know, the um, Bill Russell Celtics. You know, mm-hmm. and you can't tell me. Listen, I know that what well, there were like eight teams in the league, so I kind of take some of those accomplishments with a grain of salt. Um, you know, because I think it's difficult to compare a thirty two league or 30 league team and an eight, eight league team. And if you, but the thing is, it's not, we, we know how this plays out and because yeah. they of just the luck of the, that Steph was on a cheap contract because of bad ankles and that they happened, he happened to be a free agent. The one year there was a cap spike. It was, it was a freak of accident in a way of, of, of history that they put themselves in a situation to have four, Hall of Fame caliber players all in their prime at the same time. And with Iggy, not too far off. You know, so, if it, you know, he's like a little bit older. But to have right. five guys that good, two MVPs, we just haven't seen it. It's never and, – and I would say there's something very specific. It's not just about the talent level. There's something very I, – I actually was trying to figure this out the other day, and I think I might be right. Uh, Clay, Steph, Kevin Durant may be the best shooters at their positions in history. I looked it up. Uh, he, you know, uh, Kevin it's crazy Ray when you think about it. <laughs> has better percentages than Larry Bird, um, than Steve Smith. Um, Clay Thompson shoots better from three than Ray Allen or Reggie Miller. Jeez, and crow. So, and we already know Steph is the best. Yeah. Shooting Porter. So, it's the it's the type of skill set that when you put it all together. It's like almost like if you had a cheat code. Well, think about this. Like I know I just mean overlapping skill sets that create like an exponential effect. So imagine if you had, uh, like, uh, Giannis, Anthony Davis, and Kevin Durant on the same team, right? Just seven foot guys with arms, right? <coughs> just three, just freaks that just it doesn't make. But they they have overlapping skills that when you put them all on one team would create a, like a multiple, multiple, you know multiple type of effects you know and that's essentially when you have people because three points counts more than two and that skill set they have overwhelming advantage that it's it's mathematically almost impossible to beat them and that's like and that's the thing i remember that game three last year lebron has 40 plus Kyrie has 40 plus i think kevin love had 20 they you know Mm -hmm. they could not have played better Kevin Durant comes down, hits back-to-back threes, and that's it. It's done. Like, they erased it. Then it's like, I'm like, well, there's nothing they could do. What could they yeah. have done? They couldn't have played better, and you've essentially created a situation. You know, and, and I think there's a lot, you know, that adds to that. You know, the way, the way Golden State plays defense and the way they pass the ball and the great coaching. I mean, I don't discredit them for being great, but it's right. not. It's not fun when you know. I mean, even Jeff Van Gundy in like March is talking about. What are you, like, what are you talking about? The, the season's over. They're like, like, Golden State's winning. That's it's it. sort of like yeah, watching Anderson Silva in his prime. You're like, it's great to watch, but why? I know how this ends. I disagree with that because in, in fighting, one punch and that's it. They're out. There's no such thing as a knockout punch. Fair enough. There's, Fair no, enough. Such thing, there's no such thing as a great There was a rocking jock. <laughs> but I'm saying, but no, with basketball, what makes it the reason why upsets rarely happen is that you have to be consistently good over the course of a game and a series. There's no, there's no like you know hail mary. 
Right. Really. Yeah. So so it it it, it makes it difficult for that to happen, and it's like it sucks when you're like, damn, I'm, I hope Kevin Durant turns his ankle, so it's like kind of fair. <laughs> it sucks. I, I think that sucks. But it, you know, whatever. And and I, and I get, it. and I don't begrudge him for going there. I think these players should be able to do whatever they want, exercise right, live where you and want. To be clear, play. you're not seriously wishing for Durant to get injured here. That's stung in cheek. No, no. I, I would. I hope somebody <laughs> something. It would actually have to be interesting because I I think unless that happens, there's no chance. They have no chance. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Like. You know, Cleveland's completely up against it, even with LeBron being this one-man juggernaut wrecking ball of a, you know, human basketball cyborg machine. Like, you know, they're, they're completely up against it. And, and injury is the only way that's going to sort of bring some sort of parity to the seat, to the series. And you don't you don't want to see anyone get get injured. That's, that, you know, but... Uh, I admit to the same thing for the Liverpool-Real Madrid thing. I hate Liverpool with a passion. I just, I can't stand Liverpool. And when Salah went down with an injury, like 20 minutes into that Champions League game, I wasn't happy, but I wasn't sad. So I totally get where you're coming from. Well, I mean, and I guess it, it you know, from a, how do I say, like a um, karma standpoint, when you see a team that they, you know, if, if they, listen, if they would have won in 2016, and completed the 73-win season, everyone would have said that was the greatest team of all time. Mm-hmm. So you already knew you had this – I mean, and not, it wasn't just the wins. If you look at the, um, the point differential, it was the best point differential in history too. So by every measure, they were the best team ever. And then you go and add a top 15 player of all time in his prime. It's just like it's, – it's over. It's over. And then it, you know, I get it. The super teams don't always work out, but this one worked out exactly like we all thought about. You know, they didn't. They won 15 straight games last year easily, easily. And the, you know, and it's like that's the thing is their biggest problem this year was they got bored. They were bored. They're like, wow. So it, it's like, would we tune in every week to watch the dream team go and beat every team by 50 and be like, that's exciting? No. You know. So I don't know. It's it's. Um, so yes, yeah, so on that end, I mean, LeBron, I think what he's done is just, well, we've never, here's the truth, you know, Jordan's never done anything like this. He just hasn't because we never saw him that depleted of talent around him after his early part of his career, you know? Um, and just what, what LeBron has done, I think is it's, it's to be, be, you know, be, be held in, in, in history, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. So who are you picking, Doc? Who do you want who do you want to see take the series? Oh, I think Cavs and four. I think that's <laughs> no. no, I mean I mean I would I would love I just I want LeBron to get more rings because I think it 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 helps people who who don't understand nuance to you know to make his case that perhaps he's the greatest player of, of all time. You know, and I and I you know, and I, I, I saw Jordan play. I've seen LeBron play. I think they do different things. Um, yeah. And, and I think early on in, in LeBron's career, when, you, when you, he didn't really have that mental side of it, totally locked down, be able to kind of turn it on. Because we physically, we thought he should be able to do anything. You know, people thought he should have won a title going back to 2009, 2008. Um, 
but once he kind of figured out that mental side of it and learned, you know, figured out a post game, figured out how to conserve his energy, figured out this dude, you know, spent that last, you know, two years in Miami just figuring out how to like basically not foul anyone or like how can I shoot, be a perimeter player and shoot 70% from the field? Like just crazy stuff that, you know, yeah. that, you know his game kept developing, learning, you know, becoming a better three point shooter. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's it's kind of you know there was this uh, simul. You guys know who, uh, Mike Corbenza is? He's like a, a YouTube NBA guy. No, I'm not familiar with it. No. So he did a he does these simulations. So he did like a, a 2K simulation where he had five LeBrons play five uh, Jordans, <laughs> and uh, LeBron won. But you'd think that he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster. It's just like. You know, I don't know. I think really the one thing, you know, Mike has over him is, you know, just he's a better probably one-on-one scorer. You know, if you just gave him the ball, hey, go get us a shot. You know, Michael Jordan is probably better at that. But everything else, you know, maybe in a perimeter, maybe a perimeter defender, you know, just on mm. ball, you know. But LeBron is prime, you know, that dude could stop anybody, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I think what the – one of the – his greatest assets at this point, and you kind of touched on it. It's it's his mental edge. You know what I mean? Like he, his not only his approach to the game, um, in terms of like preparation and and you know putting in the in the in the time on the court and practicing, but like he he learned a while ago too, like to look after his body and you know he has those cryogenic sort of things in his in his house and all that sort of stuff. He's invested money like into that to help preserve and prolong his career, which is smart. But, you know, on the flip side of that is also his actual, like, mental perspective of the game. Like, he sees things that, you know, 90% of, 95% of NBA players don't see on a basketball court. That and, photogenic know, memory recall yeah, in the interview exactly. is just a prime example. That's yeah. exactly what I was just about to touch on, yeah. To, like, I mean, that, and I would say that's almost hurt him in, I think, recent years because he's almost – become uncoachable because what mm. can a coach really tell him that he doesn't already know yeah that's a way. fair point you know that's and i fair. think it hurt, but it, i think it hurts him it's the same way that every time one of these coaches becomes the gm they screw up at the same time it would be better for him to not perhaps take the the strategic leadership role when that really should be the coach's job and unfortunately we've only really seen him coached in uh miami that's the only yeah. time he was really, truly coached, and he had to defer because of uh, Pat Riley and Dwayne Wade and this kind of systemic, uh, you know, historic success there. So it's kind of a shame because I feel like he's undermined his coach. He's undermined his front front office, and it's and ultimately it's hurt him because with the roster that he has and being in a situation where I think it's very similar to, to what happened with Russell Westbrook last year and to a lesser degree this year is that. I think the other players, part of the reason why – I think it's his team is actually way more talented than they performed because their skills become atrophied because they become so reliant on one person doing one thing all the time. When that person isn't there, they almost forget what, how good they are on their own. And I think it, it, it ultimately ends up undermining – you know, like, like somebody – it's like, was it uh, um, Rodney Hood was averaging 17 points a game with the Utah Jazz. You tell me that dude, mm. that guy couldn't go out and get twelve points a game in the in the playoffs. You, you know, you're telling uh, me he, sh- he should be able to. Yeah, he should be uh, able to definitely. 
that's that's what I'm saying. You, you, you're telling me, you know, George Hill averaged like almost 18 with the King or with, uh, with Utah two years before. Maybe there's still something in the air in Utah. I don't know what the hell's going on. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you guys like, yo, Jeff Green career is like 13 points a game. All right. I mean, I know he's disappointed, but the guy can play basketball. These are not, you know, yeah. J.R. Smith was a six man a year. You know, it's like these. These guys are not terrible basketball players. They're just not playing well now. Yeah, and and I happens think to be all at the same time. Yeah, I think also a big part of that is is you know LeBron is so ball dominant too. Like you know this, these guys, like you're saying, these guys sort of end up sort of standing around because they're half expecting him to you know do something with the ball every time he comes down the court. If they don't see it, it's going in another direction, or he's taking it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but so that's, yeah, but, but that, that's what I'm saying. Is I think. Yeah, his as great as he is, and as much as I say, I think it all it is a situation where he has said, "Well, I'll do it your way, and if it doesn't work out for a little bit, then we're doing it my way." And they basically had to do it his way. And I see, like, I I wouldn't be surprised if they blow it up, and Kevin Love goes to the Spurs or something that averages twenty five and ten. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I that like, wouldn't I don't think, shock me at all. <laughs> you know exactly. Like that's it. I don't think Kevin Love sucks. I think it's look same thing happened to Chris Bosh. Year LeBron left, what he, he was giving us like twenty four yep. nine on like forty nine percent shooting. Now they're saying LeBron's the or Philadelphia is the the favorites right now, and I'm like, I wouldn't want to see that. I would not want to see that, man. I love watching LeBron, but I would not want to see a young team coming and learning together have somebody come in. And I'm not calling him a ball hog. I think ball dominant can hurt. Young, young developing teams like LeBron fits in well with a team that's you know it, it's got some established starters, maybe a young player or two like your your Kyrie type. But if you put him on a team full of young, impressionable guys that are still learning the league, I mean, I think that takes all the progress Philadelphia have had and sets it back in some small way because I just don't think he's suited to what they're doing. Would he improve them? Yes. Would Philadelphia become an excellent team? Yes. But what happens when LeBron leaves? That's my question. Well, I mean, I think to me, it's if, if I'm LeBron, I'm thinking, all right, how do I, if, if I want, really want to be considered the GOAT, I got to follow one person's lead, and that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar started with the Lakers as the best player and eventually passed the torch and became the next guy. Because the, the truth is, as good as LeBron is, 33, I, I think his history tells us, whether it's this year or next year, he will peak. And he's going to be good pretty much as long as he wants to play, I think. But he would be best served eventually being the second best player on the team. So if I was him, I'm going to Milwaukee. I'm going to go play with Giannis. That dude's crazy. You know, if I'm him, you know, I'm going, you know, I want to eventually go somewhere where there's someone that's going to be better than me. And, you know, I mean, imagine a team where LeBron's the second best guy, that where he defers. You know, because the thing about LeBron, he can do everything on a basketball court. You say, hey, LeBron, we need 15 rebounds. He'll go get 15 rebounds. Hey, bro, like imagine him cutting and playing more the the Dwayne Wade role, right? And getting, you know, like maybe it, it could work in Philly if he said, you know what, Ben is your ball. Yeah. You know. Oh, it you could know? work. 
LeBron can make it work. I just, you know, I think about this in a sense of like Manchester City soccer team. Like right now they're set up really, really well. Everything's flowing well. Everything's working well with Pep Guardiola at the helm. But my question is, how's it all going to look when Pep leaves? That's more my question for Philadelphia if LeBron goes there. They're young and building team now. What happens? What's up? What? Well, can, can I can I pitch you a scenario though? Yeah, sure. What, what if they do some package, you know, that sends Dario Saric and Fultz and picks and some stuff for like Kawhi Leonard? Then it's LeBron, Kawhi, Embiid, and uh, Ben Simmons and, uh, and Ben Simmons as your core. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ, dude! Yeah. I mean, and I don't think that the 76ers are really tied to Markel Fultz. I mean, I think I'm not going to say he's a bust because I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think more than any other sport, basketball, you've got to give time guys time to develop. Everyone was crapping on Lonzo Ball right out of the gate. And look, he turned into a decent player. Imagine that. With time, dudes get better. He literally um, had the same season as Jason Kidd's. Rookie year, they have almost the same exact uh, stats. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I don't think Markel Fultz is a bust in any way, but I do think that Markel Fultz has too much going on with him right now that should have warranted a first round pick. And because of that, if you're Philadelphia and you have the chance to improve roster with a guy who is league ready to win now like a Kawhi Leonard that's a move you have to make I think yeah that's your scenario you know well I'm just just, what I'm I'm saying is that we're looking at LeBron going to the to the team as they're constructed but I'm just saying you never know how these things team when he arrives yeah Yeah. Yeah. what's like it's like no one could have predicted what would like how the Cleveland Cavaliers as constructed came together with the Kevin Love deal. And then LeBron, like that was just, it came out of nowhere. So I think there's a real good chance what may happen, maybe something none of us have really predicted, you know? So, and then here's the thing, LeBron is probably is smarter than most of us anyway. (laughs) And he's thinking, I think in, in some different ways. And, you know, I, I just, I don't want him to do what Dirk did, you know, just kind of fade Mm. On a less and less relevant team. I, listen, I would, I would love to see. Imagine Dirk playing the five on <laughs> those Cleveland teams or <laughs> something like that, hitting, hitting three pointers. You know, <laughs> I used to, I used to have long and shaggy hair. I'm a really tall dude, about six five, and uh, I used to have long and shaggy hair. And people always used to say, "Man, you look like that." It's just when the Mavs were in the finals and I was serving tables at Red Lobsters. People were like, hey, you look like that German guy that plays for the Mavs. And I'm like, yeah, I'm his alter ego, Nurk Davitsky. Um, and so just around around the restaurant, everybody kept calling me Nurk. But I, no, I, feel, I, I do feel like Nowitzki is such a prime example of somebody who... He got his title, so I understand maybe rewarding loyal uh, Cuban with loyalty. But I think all of us can look at Nowitzki and think fondly, well, what if he had his team and, and, and tried to pursue more, you know? Just just more. Whatever more is, I don't know. 
promos and whatever yeah. the fags are doing. Yeah. Well, I think, think about, it's, think I think about it's still this. that. If Ray, if, go, Doc. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to make one point. It's, uh, imagine if Ray Allen didn't go to the Heat. They don't win that last title. You know, that's how much a 38-year guy who has skills matters. Yeah, that's that's true. Like, you know, like, I think with Dirk, though, the same, in the same sense, like, it's admirable that he did stay with that team and, and, you know, chose the path of loyalty. Like, in the times that we live in, things have done change, you know. LeBron flipped the league on its head when he when he went to Miami and, you know, changed the, the course of history and the, the basketball spectrum. Um and mentality of all the players, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty cool that, it, you know, he did stay with the team. They, they just couldn't build around him, you know what I mean? Um, but just going back to to LeBron and, you know, in the, the Sixers scenario, I, I just don't see it. Like, as much as, you know, as people talk about it and they may be favorites, I still think if he's going to go anywhere, it's to Houston. And um, LA. Yeah, I think... Nah, I don't. I don't see that either. Like, I think. I think Houston is. If 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 he's thinking about legacy, and if he, he he goes to Houston, he could knock the Warriors off. Like that with Paul and, and and Harden. I think that's that's a path he would be more likely to take. Um, just and obviously his friendship with CP3 is is a big part of it. I saw I saw a headline today actually that um, apparently he's already been. Um, in contact with LeBron to try and get him there. He wants him there. So, can like, I, it seems, can I give you a seems more that? logical. Yeah, like, go, yes. man, go. If you're LeBron, do you want to be 35, watching James Harden dribble 20 times in a row mm-hmm. while you stand in the corner? I mean, it's like I said, yes, that sounds good for next year. But after that, like when Chris Paul, you know, is on his last legs and maybe he's, you know, can't even, – even now, I mean, as great as Chris yep. Paul is – He's Still been injured. hurt. He's been hurt. What two, three, four out of the last few years? Whether it's him yeah. or Blake was hurt every other year. For some reason, he can't stay on the court at the time you 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 need him most. And so there is there's still question marks there. Even though that's next year, yes, you want to win next year. That's the best place to go. You know what's actually ironic is <laughs> his best bet to win would be to go to Boston. <laughs> yeah, but. Of course, he wouldn't go to Boston because, you know, Kyrie's there. So, and he he's running away. So, <laughs> the part is, if he wanted to go to Boston, they would make room for him over the objections of Kyrie. I'm a thousand percent certain of that. Do you not, think, not that it'll happen, but I am a thousand percent certain that any team LeBron wanted to sign for would do their utmost to accommodate him. You know what's funny? I was thinking though, before the Knicks fell off. I thought that was actually would have been a really compelling place to go if 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 it was the uh, Porzingis of the first thirty games of the season when he was averaging like twenty eight and ten mm-hmm. and five blocks and I'm like, whoa, that's kind of an interesting prospect. Being in New York, everyone would want to play there, you know. But you know, now that that all happened, that's pretty much off off the table. But I, for a second, I thought that was actually kind of a fascinating idea. Hmm. The many tales of where LeBron will end up. All right, Doc, a couple last things here before we let you go. We're going to shift gears. Have ye had the chance to go see the latest uh, Marvel movies? Dude, Deadpool. Yeah, dude, that's why I actually started when you like messaged me. I was like, hell yeah, I got to follow this dude because I'm 
I'm, this is my other passion is, is, is film and comic books at a, at, a, at a younger age. But I am like, I, like I went to go see this past week when I was home, I went to go see uh, 2001 Space Odyssey by myself at like 11 right. o'clock at night. And I saw Solo back to back days. So that, that's how I roll. Like I'm, I'm deep in the streets. And yes, I've seen everything multiple times. Um, and out of all the, the summer movies that have come out, Solo, Deadpool, I still think Infinity War is a step above. There's a level of um, kind of emotional depth. Yes. And risk, risk taking. And yep. when you understand the broader context, and I think just really that, just the three-peat of um, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and that, it's like, that's such a, that's probably the best three movies yeah. I think they've had. Um, and they're all different. They're all different. Um, the vibe is totally different. And I just think what they've done. And it comes out, don't forget, Civil Wars right before that, too. So really, you get a massive four. four yeah, you get Civil War. Was it Spider-Man Homecoming? Doctor Strange. Yep. I love Strange, Doctor yep. Strange, too. Same. Yeah. But I, but I think but what I'm saying is that I think what they've done, it's mm -hmm. one of those things where it, they're making it look easy. And everyone's failed. DC has failed. I think Star Wars has had, you know, they have four solid movies. I don't think any of them are bad, but I don't think any of them are great. They're all just good. Um, they've got a lot of things right, but but what I'm saying is that they are doing the they are they are doing the impossible, and it's it's really you know it's incredible to actually just to understand like it's just how the hell did they do? I still don't know how they're doing it. Like, like the consistency. I think know, it's a combination uh, of a couple of things, and I opined on this in the Marvel Report in, in, a, in a previous article, but it's a combination of a couple of things. First and foremost, they are very loyal to source material. They, they have, it's not just, oh, we read a comic or a, or a series of comics, and that is our source material. No, we're talking about people who have read and read and read and read and know these characters inside and out and are using more than one story. They're combining them. If you look at Ragnarok, Ragnarok was part of the Avenger, Avengers disassembled storyline, and Planet Hulk was sort of its own thing, too. Um, but they took those two elements and they combined them seamlessly, seamlessly into probably one of Marvel's best movies. I still have Ragnarok above Infinity War. I think it was that much fun. I can yeah. watch it over and over and over again. But the second thing is this. While they're loyal to the source material, when they say Marvel Cinematic Universe, they mean that. It is its own cinematic universe. Just because it happened in the comics doesn't mean it will happen exactly the same way. Different people are going to die. Different stories are going to happen. Different characters are going to be there. And I love that Marvel is committed to that. They are faithful to that. They're not afraid to take chances. They're not afraid to use different characters. And I think it all works. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away and I'm you know, it's just I want to. I have you done the rewatch from top to bottom? Oh like, yeah, it, I, I own I own the um, the collector's set. If you Google Phase One collector's set, 
it's a, uh, you know, the briefcase that they were going after in Avengers with the Tesseract? Yeah. Okay, it's that with, uh, and it comes with every movie, a, a, a Blu-ray and the 3D version. And then for phase, for phase two, it's the uh, orb with the stand from Guardians of the Galaxy. And again, it's got all the movies, all the uh the 3D copies as well. So not only do I do the uh, not only do I do the the rewatch, I rewatch them in 3D. Dude, and by the way, can I? I just have to give a little nugget of you know for myself about. I think the Edward Norton uh, Hulk is super underrated, and people for some reason it's gotten like people don't like it. I don't really understand why. I just argued with my roommate about this last night, man. That is so funny. You're bringing this up. I swear we didn't organize this. He he thinks this, and I was arguing about it last night. I agree. It was a well-done movie. I just think Edward Norton probably wasn't the best choice for Hulk. Banner. He played a good Hulk, but he didn't play a good Banner. Hmm. I don't know. I loved all the stuff. I, I thought what worked Banner for me was the, the realism they, they tried to Go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, Banner isn't some sexy, brooding... Dude with abs and, and whatnot. Like, that's not who Banner is. You know? This is a guy with multiple PhDs in nerdy science, and he happened to become the Hulk. I think the look of Mark Ruffalo is a better look for Banner. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind Edward Norton. I didn't have a problem with him. I just think that if you give me the look of Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner versus Edward Norton as Bruce Banner, that's going to cause me to say, okay, you know what? Norton doesn't really look like the banner you think he would be. But yeah. then it didn't affect the movie, I don't think. Yeah, I think some of that, too, is just you have to... When you get a, someone like Edward Norton, if you have the opportunity to get someone like Edward Norton, I think you have to you have to take it because he, his, um, he is a bona fide movie star. At least he was more so at, at that time. So it, it helps you with, you know... Is this movie going to open? Is it going to have, have this marketability? I don't know if Mark Ruffalo necessarily would have sold that film at that time. Plus, I heard he was very, like, he was really involved with the writing, and he was kind of maybe a little micromanaging the project. Um, speaking of, of Edward Norton as well. Well, and the Hulk isn't under Marvel Studios. They don't own it. Universal actually owns the Hulk, all solo films. So that was an entire Universal deal. The only way Marvel can use the Hulk is if he's a partner in a movie, if that makes sense. Okay, so that's crazy, isn't it? The, they they able, what's that? The it is, but only that for one thing. part of the MCU? No, it yeah. is, but only for one scene. If it wasn't for the, well, two things. General Thunderbolt Ross has, has played the same guy, but... Um, that scene at the very end of the Hulk when uh, Robert Downey Jr. walks in to a very downtrodden Thunderbolt Ross drinking at a bar, that is the biggest reason it became part of the MCU. The film was owned and distributed by Universal. Anything wow. that Marvel does with the Hulk has to take place in a shared movie. That's why Planet Hulk couldn't be its own thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They'd have to go through Universal. And Universal are a bigger pain in the ass than anyone, even Fox. So that's why Marvel is like, screw it. We'll get a deal done with Sony. 
do a partnership for a much more viable character, and then we'll just use that anyway. We just don't go to a solo with him. So I, I have a question. Do you know why Hawkeye wasn't in Infinity War? Um, my guess is simply because they had too many people. And I, here's what I am speculating. That uh, Hawkeye, Hawkeye was meant to retire, but he will be brought back as Ronin because uh, I am guessing that his family was snapped off the earth. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, all right. That's a good theory. That's a good theory. One more question down on uh, Edward Norton. Sorry, just you just broke up there, man. What'd you say? What's your verdict on Edward Norton in the in the Incredible Hulk as as a movie? Where do you come in? Um, I don't mind it. Like it's it's not a bad film. So I think it has its strong points. Um, I completely agree with you on uh, on uh, him not being. A good banner. I, th- I think you know <laughs> the brooding, uh, you know, sort of type. It just didn't really sort of fit. Um, and Ruffalo does like fully uh, encompass that that nerdy sort of you know awkward awkwardness that Banner had. It, it reminds me of like you know um, the the early TV show as a kid. You know what I mean? So. Um, I don't mind it. It is what it is. It's, it's not going away, but it doesn't really it doesn't hurt things. I think in in the long term. By the way, just to, just to put in there, let's not presume that we don't pop that Mark Ruffalo shirt off. Don't find some abs under there. All right, that dude's dry got some abs. All right, he's a Hollywood star. That's okay. that's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Mark, you know what? If you're Mark Ruffalo, because you do have shirtless scenes. If like when he crashed through uh, the Sanctum Sanctorum in Infinity War, and when he crashed in um, uh, Avengers, look if 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 you're doing if you're appearing shirtless in any capacity with a movie starring you know Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, like you're gonna get a a, a a complex, right? Like, wouldn't you? I wouldn't show up to work looking like I just drank a twelve pack. I. I'd be calling a personal training and trainer and being like, all right, you're not leaving this house tonight until I have one ab. I like, want to know who's doing the most steroids out of the, the Chris's. Because someone, you know, because, and, he, and here's another thing, Michael B. Jordan, all right, this has really upset me. He was so jacked in the Black Panther, it made me mad, upset at him and Creed. Because I'm like, yo, you did the steroids for Black Panther Hollow Creed was on all the steroids, all right? He didn't look like a normal human being, all right? Don't be showing up to the Creed set <coughs> not on steroids, all right? Don't be looking just all straight normal. up. Yeah, I don't look you, normal. That's right. I want you, I want the Black Panther, I want the Killmonger steroid look for Creed 2, all right? Just putting that out there. I, I completely respect that, man. I completely respect that. My buddy is has had these long, passionate, and humorous arguments about steroids and fighters. And is like, look, man, let's just dispense with the fact that it doesn't already happen. You know, like, anyone who thinks it's not happening is delusional and never spend any time around sports. All right, I want to go back to something you said, though, real quick. Because you talked about emotions in Infinity War. I really thought Deadpool 2 was a surprisingly good film in terms of the way it actually was a love story. It actually was a, a it had its emotional moment. 
and they were damn good. They did a damn good job of creating a Deadpool world with a story that could pull at you. Yeah, I mean, the first one was like that, too. It was really about the relationship and him wanting to get back to his, his girl, you know? So I think that was pretty congruent. Like, I'm a, I'm a little less on board because I feel like it's very heavy-handed the way they're like, it's like, love, relationship, he keeps going back. He's like, I have to save this kid. It's, it's very much on the nose. And it's fine. Like, I don't, I'm not against it, I think. But I think they're, like everything with that movie, nothing subtle. And I guess that's <laughs> the, the style of it. And I just, listen, I think, I give all the credit in the world to the Deadpool films because I think in a way they've revolutionized uh, what you can do with a superhero film and still have it feel like the entire film, they're making fun of superhero movies. Ryan Reynolds is making fun of himself. They're making fun of all the, the tropes. In a way, it's almost like a parody film, but they, it's only just enough that it still feels like a comic book film. And it doesn't, it doesn't undermine, like, I don't feel like this is separate from the X-Men universe, even though the tone couldn't be more different. You know, mm -hmm. like, like some, somehow I still feel like it's part of it, you know? So yeah, I think, I, I, I think those films are incredible. I, you know, I think the writing is great and, um, and you know, and everyone just, the, the performance that Ryan Reynolds gives, I mean, it's so him, you know, it's like he's so man? perfect. He's so perfect. Yeah, it's 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 great. I love it. Um, yeah. All right, couple questions here. These will be easy for you. Top five Marvel oh. films in the MCU. What are your favorite films? Um, Captain America, Captain America, First Avenger. Um, Black this in order or no order? Uh, no, no order really. Okay. It's hard. It's hard to say. I actually have to go back and think. Oh man! Um, uh, the first Avenger, Black Panther. You said Black Panther. Uh, probably the first Iron Man. I think you have to put in there. Um, I'm telling you, those last three. I think it's you know. What? I think I'm gonna go with Iron Man one, Captain America one, and those three I listed: Ragnarok, Black Panther, and and Infinity War. That's fair. That's fair. Adam, how about yours? Um, what would I go? Definitely got to put Infinity War in there. I, w I walked out of that feeling like a ways about like a Marvel film like I hadn't felt before. So that's that's definitely in there, no question. Um, oh, filling out the other four is tough. I want to put I want to put Guardians Amen. two Guardians two in there. Um, wow, bold move, bold move. Yeah, bold yeah, move. I love it. Yeah, I, I I love that film. I think it I think it exceeds the first one too. Um, we're just doing MCU, aren't we? We're not doing like the, any of the yeah. Okay, cool. And what else I'm going to chuck in there? Def, uh, so I got uh, Infinity War, Guardians two, uh, definitely uh, Winter Soldier. It's my favorite okay. of the of the Cap films. Three. So it's it's three. Uh, man, look, I'll put Black Panther in there just from a. a how it, it just was a, a game changer of a film. I like the film. I really enjoy it, but I want to watch it again. Um, whoa, the fifth spot is tough, man. Like, I enjoyed Ragnarok, but, and it's definitely my favorite of the, 
of the of the Thor can, can film. You, hey, since we've got you on here, can you do a Korg voice for us? Oh uh, man, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a Kiwi brew, so I can't talk like that properly. <laughs> <laughs> but they sort of sound a little bit like that. <laughs> uh, oh, shout out shout, shout out to any New Zealand listeners. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Um, but yeah, uh, fire out the fifth one, man. Oh, it's tough. Um, you know what? I'll go. I'll just I'll throw Thor in there now, just because you put me on the spot. Um, Ragnarok. But yeah. Yeah, Ragnarok, yeah. I'll put Ragnarok yeah. in there. And by, by the way, well, mine, I think you could probably interchange any of mine with either of the, of the, the Captain America ones, Winter Soldier or Civil War, I thought were amazing. But something about the first one, it kind of, it just reminds me of like almost like an Indiana Jones film. You know, I something, agree. You know, mm. something, something simple. Period. It was good. It just had that period feel to it. Now you're making me want to watch the damn thing yeah. again. Well, well, it's it's interesting because it's everything that they couldn't make a Superman movie be, which is earnest and kind of pure. And it was the first that first film. It's everything Wonder Woman wanted to be. The yeah. Whole tone. The whole tone of this kind of you know unambiguously kind of morality and 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 symbolism and, and stuff so I, I don't know there's, there's something just it was that was a tone like I never really cared about that anyone could make a good Captain America movie so I think it's it's worth uh, looking at yeah so my top five are I'm gonna have in no particular order winter soldier uh, just for me is probably one of the best MCU films I've ever seen uh, obviously it's in this list but winter soldier was so much fun. It was a spy thriller. It was action-packed. It had those emotional moments. Um, and, and, and one of my favorite parts about it was the, was the forging of the relationship between Sam and Steve. Um, I just loved that so much. I think it helped make the film one of It released so many great moments down the line where he's like, I do what he does, just slower. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have your merch all to your rigs. Exactly. Um, I, uh, so Winter Soldier, Infinity War, I'll throw in there, um, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, um, I can't imagine how adults felt when they walked out of Star Wars in the 70s, but I'm pretty sure it was close to how I felt when I walked out of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, I wanted to go back again and again and again and again and again, I just, I wanted to live in the world, I wanted to hang out at nowhere, um, it just, it did so many things for me. God, I love that damn movie. It brought Thanos to the forefront. I love Ronan. I think he's a fantastic, uh, anti-hero. Um, so that's three. Uh, what else? I love Ant-Man. So it's going yeah. in there. Ant-Man's uh, great. Ant-Man's great. I love that's Ice cool. film. So good. In, Is that in, your five? No, I got one more. Ant-Man to me was so great because I love what they did with guys like Michael Pena. Every stereotype, it was there, but then they crapped on it, you know? <laughs> like I was there for this neo-impressionist exhibit, you know? You're just like, wait, what? Um, and then my fifth one, I think without reservation or hesitation, would have to be Thor Ragnarok. Uh, I, I, I love Valkyrie. Dude. So, oh my God, I want a poster of her in my life. <laughs> yes. yes, Tessa Thompson, just incredible. 
just incredible. By the way, I just want to give one one more underrated thing. I think that that history is not treated well, and I disagree with is I think people are like, oh, the only good bad guy is uh, Loki or whatever. I thought Ultron was an awesome bad guy and super underrated. Just people put that out there. Don't give, uh, people always uh, skip over Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull. Yeah. Well, that's because that film doesn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, Hugo Weaving was great. I thought Tim Roth was good in, in the Hulk. So I'm just gonna. You know, I think they've done a, done a pretty good job. Who, you know, who, who wasn't? Who hasn't aged well is uh, Jeff Bridges in Iron Man One. I don't know about him. Jesus, Obadiah Stane was horrible. Even Iron Man's had the weakest villains, hands down. They botched the whole thing with the Mandarin. That pissed off a lot of people. Oh, yeah, that was bad. Didn't piss me off at all. At that point, they were so far into the series and using source material that people are like, come on, man, like, you botched this and you're in phase three? Like, come on. I mean, I think that was where the rift came. Um, Mickey Rourke is Mickey Rourke, but Whiplash was just not very good. And then, yeah, Obadiah Spain was just... Iron Man's had good stories, but his villains have leave much to be desired. I think, I think the only worse villain, and I like the movie, but it was Malekith, and that's because they have him speaking Elvish the whole time, and he's um, he's very one dimensional. Which for what for what movie? Uh, Thor: The Dark World. Malekith. Dark World. Dude, I have to go back. Like I haven't watched that Dark forever. World, I haven't watched that in forever. Does that movie hold up? I think it does. I like it. I, I get that people don't, but I like the film. I think it's fine. I like that Asgard gets attacked. I like that Loki and Thor have to work together so soon after uh, the events of New York. And I like that Loki's sort of put in a position to where he has to work with his brother. He has no choice because he knows he can't take this guy down alone. And he certainly wants to kill him for killing Frigga. So it's, it's, I, I thought it was a really, really good movie. The only thing that could have been better was Malekith. You know, they had him speak English at some points, but for the most part, he was just barking orders to the accursed. And I don't know, it just, it was weird. I get why people don't like it, but I, I think it's, I also love the, the orchestral theme to it. Yeah, I, I rewatched the first one not that long ago, and I, I was amazed how, how good it was. Um, worst villain. Worst villain. Uh... Ooh, um, maybe, maybe the villain in Ant Man. That dude is pretty cheesy. Corey Stoltz. Are we gonna? Yeah, I, I, that guy was whatever. Fair enough, Adam. Who you got? Oh man, like it's got to be one of the Iron Man ones. I, I want to go with and. <laughs> this is going to go against one of my fellow countrymen, but I'm I'm going to go with um, Guy Pierce as um, uh, what 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 was his name? Um, yeah, I'll just Killian, Killian, Killian. Yeah, yeah, weak. That was weak. Agreed. That's yeah. what I go with. All right, that 
we want to get to the subject of your music before we let you go. I know we talked about it in the beginning, but we were kind of talking about you covering somebody else's music. Yeah. So let's talk Bad Wolves before we let you go. You are rare in your tour right now because you are doing this whilst getting set up for a show. Yeah. yeah well, well, this is the, the music business is a lot of hurry up and wait. So we're, we're doing a show with uh, Five Finger Death Punch. <laughs> And Wyoming playing an arena out here, and so usually getting the headliner, they like you know they set up the big stage and they sound check, and then there's another band of mice and men, and they're gonna set up the sound check, and we're the last ones on. So luckily, I had some had some time today. And um, how long is this tour? What's 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 the golden uh, what's the so, golden so so we have three shows with five finger death punch. Um, right now, like one of them's a, a big festival um, in Kansas City with I think Ghost is playing and Stone Temple Pilots and some really cool bands. Then we do one show in St. Louis with this band I Prevail. Then after that, we're headlining for the rest for about a month, um, and so that'll be our first headline tour. And so yeah, that'll that should be really cool. And then we have about ten days off, and then we go back out with Five Finger Death Punch and Breaking Benjamin and Nothing More doing amphitheaters it's a huge tour it's all i think a lot of shows are sold out it's me me playing in front of like you know 10 15 000 people a night so that's you know some pretty exciting stuff and that's gonna take us all the way to september <clears throat> so uh talk to me about the debut album disobey talk to me about the uh the themes oh you know one thing that i just wanted to add bt dub that i completely forgot about our discussion with zombie and this is a credit to you guys i love the way that it was updated you know, like the, the the song still the tone fits the same because the modern technology has has made it the same with drones and so I loved that 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 was such a, an amazing little twist. But I, I think that's partly why I ask about the themes of disobey and and sort of what you guys were going for. Well, um, you know, I wasn't to be truth. A lot of the record was done when I when mm -hmm. I joined the band, so I came in for like the last few songs, and it was a really collaborative effort but a lot of the themes really were coming from our singer tommy you know and he was you know there's, there's songs on the record you know like the song remember when is about you know his his twin brother tried to kill him you know he, you know we almost killed him you know put him in the hospital and you know that was a really devastating experience for him and he, he and he wrote about how, how difficult that was and you know the song officer down the one that starts the record a lot of people think it's an anti-police song and, it, and mm -hmm. it isn't. it's about it's about the, the the dualistic nature between you know one group of people being disproportionately targeted and affected by you know police violence and then also if you're a police officer you're the target you know of all of this you know backlash and you know police officers do get killed and they have a danger they're dealing with so it's kind of about both those struggles and people kind of see it almost as as one thing so there's a lot of there's a lot of different themes. There's a love song on the record, you know. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's very, very uh, politically and socially aware. So, but I think the title really, really sums it up because where that came from was I was looking at a lot of artwork um, related to the film They Live, you know, and a lot, and a lot of that was about kind of propaganda, you know, obey, consume. You know a lot of you know a lot, a lot of that that type of propaganda. So we were kind of trying to say something that was 
the literal opposite of that. And, and Tommy came, because I was sending this stuff, and it was similar to that, obey. And he's like, well, how about disobey? And I'm like, perfect. That just it sums it all up. Adam, did you want to jump in? No, man. No, you're good. You carry, carry on, carry on. I was just <laughs> taking all that in. Um, <laughs> all right. Taking in those great answers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, you mentioned that you came on a little bit later. How did you become aware of the project or or how how did you sync up? What what sort of led to you becoming involved with Bad Wolves on a permanent basis? Because sure. uh, if I recall correctly, weren't you the one who sort of, you were the impetus for God forbid breaking up? You posted online that it was yeah. time to move on. Yeah, I mean, else followed suit. So, yeah, so like right after that, so maybe within six months of me leaving God forbid, I, I, I grew up in New Jersey my whole life. And I, I decided to move to L.A., just kind of give music one more shot. And I guess, ironically, my car broke down and I was looking around. I was stuck in Denver and I was like, oh, what if any bands are coming through? Maybe I can hitch a ride. And guess who gave me a ride was I called John Berklin, the drummer of the band who started Bad Wolves. At the time, he was playing with Devil Driver and they gave me a ride home. And the base so it was basically John and then. They're a guitar tech at the time, this guy, Max Karen. Um, they started the band together. And John quit Devil Driver right after that. So I heard all of this music that became the Bad Wolves record in its very, very early stages. And at the time, when I first moved to L.A., I kind of wasn't, you know, I just quit a metal band. I was kind of, I wanted to do, I, didn't, I have another band called Vegas Nerve, which is a little more like progressive rock, like very melodic and kind of soothing. And it's just a totally different vibe. And I was just wasn't really on the metal vibe at the time. And, um, you know, and I just I was doing a, I was playing a lot of different bands. And I basically just had um, a gap in my schedule. And I heard, you know, Tommy, I heard the, the you know, him, his vocals on the songs and everything kind of had tightened up and they had really figured something out. And I what I heard was something very special. And I, I was like and uh, the one guitar player was leaving. And they needed another guitar player. And it's like, you know, John was trying to get me to join the band for like a year, you know. And I finally was like, you know what, man, I, I think I'm down to, to join the band. And it was, you know, when slowly but surely, you know, we kind of put it all together, you know. And by the, by the time we got our record deal, um, the band just kept writing. So, so what, what the, the record that I joined, maybe about six other songs were added to the record. And a lot of songs that were previously going to be on the record became like B-sides or got... We just like just saved it for the next album, right. you know. Yeah. So so yeah. So it's um, you know, it's been a real <laughs> process. But pretty much since we put out the music video for the song "Learn to Live," it's been kind of like a rocket ship, man. Where it's just it got going and people just listen. I've been doing this a long time, so I see a. I've done bands where people kind of like it. I've done bands where no one likes it. I've done it, and when you see something that really just takes off on its own. It's, <laughs> You just kind of know it, and it's just like, all right, let's just kind of let's just go along for the ride, and hopefully, you put in a lot of years to have something like this happen. Is is the moral of the story? You put in a lot of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and almost to the point where I was kind of content to not, you know, have music be my my main career because I really, you know, I was you know really into writing and really into podcasting <laughs> and doing stuff like that, and I have a talent for that stuff and had some success. So I was almost. You know, doing music for a living, man, is it's really hard in this day and age. And most people that are doing it are not making money. 
they're doing it because they love it. And I think that's beautiful. So, um, but I had, I'd been through the ringer. I'd seen kind of almost every angle, you know, and despite all that, it was in a way it's, it's ironic because I was, when you kind of are the least desperate, that's when sometimes it works, you know? And I think that's what happened with us to a certain degree where, you know, at least I wasn't, I was kind of like, Oh, well, if it works, it's cool. If it doesn't work, that's cool. But I wasn't, I didn't like need for this to happen to, for my life to be X, you know, in an interesting way. No, and I, I think it's kind of incredible that, that, you know, when that stuff happens is there's really no telling, you know, it's just like it, I was talking to my wife about this the other day in, in, in a different concept. I had said, you know, there are sometimes I put out a tweet or some content where I'm like, this is going to be badass and it goes nowhere. And then I put out an article like my uh, Deadpool two has the best soundtrack since guardians of the galaxy. And it's not even close. And that takes off. And I'm like, why? Like, that I was just, you know, like I'm not I'm not saying that the Deadpool article was crap, but there was nothing revolutionary in there. My other articles were me predicting what was gonna happen in Infinity War and getting ninety percent of it right. Like yeah. let's talk about that one. <laughs> but you know, it's it's the it's the Deadpool article that goes viral and you're just like, all right, you know, whatever. It's 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 funny how it works out. The stuff that you think the stuff that you've put so much work into that you hope that you pray catches on and, and maybe it does okay, but but certainly not to what you were expecting. And then all of a sudden there's this one thing that happens and it's like, you know, it's the rocket ship from hell, you know, here you go. So yeah, and, and, and listen, and with, I say with respect to what, what I'm doing, it's, you know, there's, you know, this thing started taking off and it was also like, Hey, uh, you're going to Europe to do a press tour and you're going to be playing on TV and you're going to be playing acoustic on the radio. And it's like, we didn't even get to rehearse. Like I'd never done any of that. Show. I was like shitting a brick, you know, it was really nerve wracking to kind of be thrown into a world that I was not familiar with. I'm used to playing dirty clubs, you know, and around, around the country in front of 300, you know, metal heads, you know, I'm not used to playing on morning television after they, you know, playing a, acoustic songs on morning television after they just got done, done doing a cooking segment, you know, it was a really a different universe and it was very nerve wracking, you know, and, and there's a lot of pressure once something kind of turns into something big, you know, we have a pretty big record label and a pretty big management and there's, there's expectations, you know, and there's, um, you know, you, you know, you can't screw up. You got to say the right thing. You got to show up, you know, you got to brush your teeth and comb your hair and, you know, you know, there's it's kind of a different ball game. You, you can't know, shit in your pants and bury it in the woods like they did with Lamb of God. No, no, <laughs> we can't do any of that. Um, no, no, it's it's just it's um, you know, it's one of those things. I wasn't looking for it, so I wasn't really prepared. I think totally, but it's one of those things where all right, this is a big challenge. Step in. Can I? You know, if I can do this, all right. You prove kind of each step. You kind of prove something to yourself. Where before the tour, I was every day filled with nerves and now I go out playing in front of 10,000 people and I'm not nervous at all. You know, so it's kind of crazy how, how, you know, you just get it, you adapt and you learn and just take, uh, take it for what it is. You know, it's a lot, it's interesting keep, what, what humans can be comfortable, become comfortable with, you know? 
I keep hoping that you guys are going to swing by my neck of the woods so I can go see you, but I don't. You're I don't. in Bakersfield. Well, we're playing. You know, we're playing between there because we're playing Irvine. Oh, okay. And then we're, and then we're playing San Francisco. Um, I think Irvine's summer. not too bad. Irvine Meadows Amphitheater? Is that where you guys are playing? The Irvine Meadows Amphitheater? Yeah, the five five points, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, actually, that's not too far. I can, when is that? Not, I mean, that not, is in July. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I could possibly make it out for that. Yeah. Go get, go. Doc, what about, um, what about international tour plans? Well, the thing is, the, 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 you know, our record... You know, was you know hit the charts in like 14, 15 countries. Like I said, it, it went the biggest in Australia. It was, it was a top ten record. The the song went number one on Australian iTunes. Um, it's probably gonna go gold there. So for us, it's just you know I'm in. You know, like I said, when giving the other idea about how this is different than other scenarios I've been in, I'm I'm basically a very small cog in the wheel, and there's just big things. You know, so when I, even I find out about things, I find out about them way after anyone does but we're gonna we're going to go everywhere it's just a matter of when not if so i think ten, right. tentatively the plans are to do europe at uh, the end of this year and if it's not the end of this year it'll be the beginning of next year in australia it's just a matter of when we can get there because if the band you know we have a top 10 record we probably come over there and sell out pretty big venues right now so it's just a matter of going there very much so yeah very much so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've, I've been to Australia once. It was incredible. But there, the uh, passion and enthusiasm for heavy music there is as big um, and excitable as anywhere in the world. And, and Australia, some of my favorite metal bands are from there, like uh, Parkway Drive and uh, 12 Foot Ninja. Um, there's uh, so much talent from coming out of Australia. Yeah, look, we've, we've, we've always had a, a very thriving movie, uh, music scene, especially here in Melbourne, where I'm from. Um, uh, you know, rock, rock is a, a staple of of Australian music. So it'd be good, good, good to get you out here, man. Yeah, I mean, I know they did the uh, Soundwave Festival. I don't know if they're still doing it because there was some uh, controversy with the with the promoter where a lot of bands didn't get paid and they canceled it. So I don't know if they're still doing that, but it'd be cool even if it's playing with another band or whatever, man. But it's yeah, it's it's great. And you guys have um, very how do I say attractive ladies live in Australia. <laughs> that we do we certainly do congratulations oh. sir <laughs> you win <laughs> thank you i mean if you're into that kind of thing the, the men are also attractive you know Many, uh, <laughs> adam's definitely into that type of thing a lot, lot of surfing, great, great like handsome brits with tans you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we leave the Brits for dead. We got we got better teeth as well. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna put that in the podcast description. An American and a handsome Brit with tan. There you go. Please don't. Go. <laughs> so, all right, Doc. I want to ask you about your podcast before we get you out of here. Um, what uh, you do your own show called the X Man. And uh, you, you were sort of, we've touched on the tones and the themes of, of what the podcast is about, but why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners sort of what you do, where they can listen, and who, some guests that you've had on. And if you want to share a story with us, that's cool too. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, the genesis of the show was me leaving my band and writing about it and really being honest about 
all of the, you know, my insecurities about being a 30 something year old guy who had been doing something his whole life and really didn't know what he's going to do next, you know, and that just, so I'd write about that stuff. People seem to really connect to it. And I was also really right, honestly, about where my band went wrong, you know? And then I was like, I love podcasts. It's probably, I listen to that more than anything. And I wanted to do one for a while, but I didn't just want it to be a musician interviewing a musician, which I guess my show is to a certain degree, but I at least wanted to have an angle and kind of something that creates a story arc. And that's really what it is. It's a career retrospective show. Um, and like some of the guests, like I had Rob Flynn from Machine Head on, for example, is one of my, my bigger shows. And I talked to him a lot of that stuff about what, you know, his early years before he was in Machine Head, you know, because I feel like I haven't heard a lot about that stuff. And I want to know how, you know, uh, you know, where their success came from, what his uh, path was. And I think it's kind of interesting when you talk to a bunch of people about what went wrong with this. Why did you leave this scenario? You really start to all the patterns start to come together in a way it becomes very educational about people who are interested in being professional musicians and kind of want to, if you, you can, you listen to enough, you can see all the pitfalls and see, all right, don't do this. Maybe do that. Follow this. And then I also, I talk to people in the industry. I've had managers, booking agents on the show and talk about their experience because I want to give people who care about the industry different angles and kind of give that educational element. And also I talk to media people about, um, the state of music, the state of the industry, where are we going? You know, so I kind of get a little bit of everything. And I'll do, like I said, I'll do some hoops. I had Derek James, who's an ESPN Timberwolves guy on the show. And we, we, you know, we talked about his relation to, you know, because he's a metal fan and, you know, where his background. So I'll, like I said, I kind of do a little bit of everything. You know, I but, can, you know, uh, you can, you can, I can hook you up with some people in that realm. Yeah. I'm going to put you to work, brother. That's fine. I need something to do. I definitely need something to do. No, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how much you mentioned that it's sort of a cathartic experience and allows you to sit back and, and provide a guide. How much of this sort of comes together as, as an ethos at the end of it? I mean, not sort of say is like there are a book deal in the works, but as you look back at all of these, these stories you're collecting, what to do, what not to do, how to navigate, how to do... Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see how it all sort of... You have a very large story to tell, and it feels like if you wanted to, you could tell that in a larger version. Yeah, Whether I mean, it was through a podcast series or even a book. Well, I'm kind of... I, I, I definitely see what you're talking about. I've thought about that probably from a different angle than you are talking about. Like, I've so, looked at it... Because I've, I've looked at it as a way to... So I've had two members of God forbid on the show. I've had our ex manager. I've had our ex A and R guy, our lawyer. And for me, it's about going back and kind of telling that story of my old band, you know, so I'm putting together. So every interview you, I can get every angle about what happened with the band and what went wrong. Right. So there's that angle. And then I'm also talking to a lot of the, the peers that we play with. So bands like shadows fall guys, bands like Chimera, you know, you know, bleeding through bands that came up with us who didn't make it and kind of looking at that era and saying, what happened with that era? Like, I even had... Well, a, a bleeding writer. through hung out with James Hart too often. That was what happened with them. 
Well, I'm, I'm not going to go there, but I had... <laughs> I'll probably get... I like James. I'll probably have him on, on my shorts at some point. I, you know, I messed with James Hart because he was an easy punching bag. But the truth is, the guy, everyone who was seen at one point did some things that were silly, to, to put it in a way. It all matters what you're doing later on in life. And, and, and James is actually a very successful, uh, 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 I don't want to say beautician, that's the wrong word. Her but he does hairstylist yeah he does hair hair for bands and stuff and he's very successful at it so yeah. kudos to james for that but anyway but but kind of going back to that what i was saying is that i realized i'm putting together this little picture of this entire scene of what happened so i think i could really utilize some of the resources everything i put together to maybe do some whether it's an article or a book or or something on that and then i can also i'm putting together kind of a semi-historical record of what happened to my old band god forbid you know, but as far as like the broader thing you're talking about, about maybe perhaps a cautionary tale or what to do, <laughs> just uh, sort thing, interesting thing, thing when it, yeah. But uh, but yeah, but guys, guess what? They're actually they need me on stage, so Sounds I have good, to run. Okay, brother. Well, we want to thank you, Doc Coyle. You can find him on Twitter at Doc Coyle. Doc, you go ahead and get out of here. We will wrap up for you, okay, brother? And thank you so damn much. You guys take care. Thank yeah. you. Thanks again. Uh -huh. Thanks, Doc. All Cheers. the best with the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. All right. So that was Doc Coyle of Bad Wolves literally talking to us before he went to play. It doesn't get any cooler than that. Um, so we've been rambling on for quite a bit. Um, Adam, what say you? How was your first experience? It's been good, man. Um, I'm, I'm definitely uh, definitely getting more comfortable with it by the minute. I'm, I've really enjoyed it, man. And I just want to say thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, jump on this show with you. And uh, I'm glad that you decided to bring it back and, you know, and ask me to uh, be a part of it. It means a lot. And um, I look forward to, you know, only getting better as time goes by with you in, in the, you know, in the mix and, uh, you know, in, Good luck to us for, for more shows. So, yeah. I certainly hope that you get better because you – no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know what, man? Uh, Scott will tell you all podcasting is is doing it. You know, that it's just doing it. The more you do it, the better you get. The less you do it, the worse you get. I mean – if you don't go on for a while, you end up botchy. And, and I've, I've had some bad segments when I've been off air for a while. And people are like, you want to come on? And I just did not know what to say. Because I'm like, I haven't been on air for a while. So, you know, you actually didn't do too shabby, my brother. I would even go as far as to say you did good. Ah, oh, well, thank you very much, man. You're too kind. <laughs> yeah, you know, I kind of have to say that. If I crap on you all of be like, <laughs> Back here this this week next time alone. Um, <laughs> so, all in all, man, uh, let's touch on a couple last things and we'll get out of here because I didn't want to waste Doc's time with it. But I I don't know I don't imagine you're a big hockey fan because you know why would you be? Um, but I but I but I do have to ask how cool of a story are the Vegas Knights? to somebody like yourself 
runs sports, but maybe not necessarily, um, you know, hockey. I almost said American hockey. Okay. So, um, firstly, like, let me say, like, I know very little about ice hockey. Um, I have an understanding of it. You were about to say, actually, I played hockey all growing up, and and you were about to (laughs) carry on. Uh, but uh, no, I, I never, I've never actually played the game. And funnily enough, it, it's be- it's become more prominent here in Australia in recent years. Um, there is actual ice hockey leagues here, um, not professionally, but more sort of like uh, middle sort of tier, you know, and at a club level, I guess you could say. But um, in terms of the Vegas Knights, like I've only seen bits and pieces like in recent recent weeks about them, you know, doing the unthinkable in their inaugural season and, you know, they're in the, you know, pushing, pushing through the Stanley cup and here they are, you know, they're, they're contending for their, for their first, uh, for their first uh, sort of shot at it, which, which is amazing. Like in terms of any professional sport, you know, a team coming, an expansion team coming into the league um, and doing that, it's, it's relatively unheard of. It, It doesn't, it's not something that, you know, happens <laughs> every couple of years even, you know, that, or every 10 years. It, it's, as I said, it's like they relatively unheard of. They are three wins away having won the opening game of the Stanley Cup Finals. Three wins away. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, stupid. It is stunningly they're, stupid. They're playing against the... Um, it's not Pittsburgh. What, what's the what's which, what's the team? It's the um, um capitals. The, the capitals. The Washington Capitals. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that's not that's not a that's a team that's been around for a long time, man. Like no, Vetskin's a certified certified uh, uh, all star, man. It doesn't. You know, he's one of the better players in the league. Yeah, that's amazing. Was the first game was the first game in uh, in Washington or was it in, in Vegas? It was in Vegas. It was in Vegas. Okay. Uh, so they, they obviously had the better record then? Uh, I believe so, yes. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Look, I think it's impressive just in the I'm, fact I'm that, that, that Vegas has a, an actual professional sporting team. Like, you know, Kinda that's cool. something. It's very cool. It's very cool. It's something the NBA has shied away from for many, many years now. Don't forget, the Raiders are on their way. Oh, yeah. I, that's I completely that has completely slipped my mind. Like and that's now cool as well. He's overturned the gambling ban. You can bet your ass the Raiders in the NFL are about to make bank in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's going to be crazy. It, it, it'd be as I, as I sort of touched on a second ago about about the NBA. They sort of always had, had steered clear of it because they thought it would be. Uh, be a, a dangerous prospect having an NBA team in in that in in Sin City, so to speak. But um, but now, like with the precedent set by you know the two other sporting codes, you got to wonder if if they're going to sort of step well, up to the plate. He's very progressive too. He doesn't seem to be against gambling at all. Who's that, Adam Silver? Yeah, yeah, he's a very, yeah. He's a very progressive commissioner. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> um, uh, and then the last story I want to touch on actually comes from your neck of the woods. Now, okay. Etihad Stadium, who plays there? 
Okay, so Etihad Stadium, um, for, I guess for some of your American listeners who won't know much about it, um, we, it's here. We'll get to the renaming in a second. Just tell me yeah, who yeah, else yeah. Yep. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a stadium here in Melbourne. Um, it has a massive capacity. It's, uh, I want to say, oh, it's got to be at least 90,000. Let me just jump on the old interwebs. It's something like that. Uh, where are we? No, I jumped the gun. What am I? I'm, I'm thinking of the G. So the capacity is about, it's about 50, 56,000. Um, okay. So it's used uh, primarily for Aussie rules football. Um, but also uh, the cricket is played there and we have heaps of like rock concerts and, and you know, musical um, acts that perform there as well. So it's, it's, the, it's the second biggest uh, stadium here, here in Melbourne. What, what was your question? Sorry, you broke up then, Josh. Any soccer? Um, I don't know if the soccer t- – yeah, actually, I think the Melbourne Victory play there. I think it might be there. They might do their home games there. You there, man? Yeah, sorry Hello? about that. Yeah, can you hear yeah, me? No, you, yeah, 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 I got you. Did you hear what I said? Uh, you said that the Melbourne victory. I was talking, and then I realized I had myself on mute. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, no, I, the Melbourne victory definitely play there. Yeah, they, they have their home matches there. You have got, you have got cricket. You have got rock concerts. You have got football. You have got Aussie rules football. And now they will all be coming to a stadium known as what, Adam? It is going to be called the Marvel Stadium. And what will happen in the Marvel Stadium? Well, um, for the next few years, uh, Eddie Head Stadium, as it was once known, is going to be called the Marvel Stadium. Um, and as a result... Uh, the partnership with uh, with Disney uh, is going to bring hopefully uh, more kids to uh, the footy, as we call it, and uh, it's going to bring like a whole heap of new entertainment uh, options potentially. Um, there's going to be a Marvel like dedicated merchandise uh, store within the stadium. Um, all in all, it's crazy and has they blown my mind. They will sell comics there too, right? I'm guessing so. Like, I, I, I'd say trade paperbacks potentially. Who knows? Like, definitely, definitely apparel um, and whatnot. I'm sure a lot of it will be themed around, um, you know, different events and different teams and things like that as well. Um, all in all, like, the, the news blew me away. I, I was totally broadsided by it. I had no idea that it was coming. I had no rumors of it or anything like that. Uh, I'm still sort of wrapping my head around it. Um, it's completely, completely awesome. <laughs> I can't, I can't put it in. A, it's just awesome. Dude, the marvelization of everything in the world is just making me happy. I can't stress right. that enough in life. You know, I have got, I don't know how many different bags and messenger bags that are all Marvel, you know, reversible Spider-Man bags, uh, Punisher bags, Black Panther bags, uh, an infinity gauntlet bag, um, venom bag. You know, I, I, I've, I've just got all of this crap 
and and I can take it with me everywhere, and people can't look at me weirdly any longer. You know, my arm is a walking homage to Marvel. Um, it, it's just the Marvelization of the world. It brings me so much joy. <laughs> I'm with you 100, percent brother. Uh, you know, as a kid, as a kid, I I could only like reading the comics. I could only ever dream about like. This characters coming to light in movies, you know what I mean? Um, and look, you know, we're 10 years into the Marvel comic, uh, sorry, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we've had, you know, how many X amount of films they've brought to life and, 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 and blessed us real, like, hardcore fans with. But at the same time, it's brought a whole new generation of fans um, and a whole new perspective on it all, you know what I mean? Like, the whole thing is amazing. And now... There's a, a, a an actual stadium being named after the brand. Like I don't think even Stan Lee could have envisioned what yeah. it is today. You know what I mean? And I mean, and the beautiful part about these movies is that it's inspiring. New, like you said, you just said, new generations of kids are picking up Marvel comics and are like, I want to know about this. I want to know about that. And and while they they get the luxury of having writers like Tanahasi Coates and Bendis before he left and, and G Willow Wilson um, and so on and so forth right now. Um, you know, they can go back and read the works of, of Todd McFarlane of Jim Starlin, um, you know, of Stan Lee, etc. And, and these kids are doing it. And, and it's almost like, it's not almost like, Marvel is now able to come full circle because it's reinvested in itself. Comic books are huge again. Comic characters are huge again. You know, it's it's the cool thing to do. And they're not going away anytime soon because they are our fantasies played out in real life. And that just never gets boring. You know? Yeah, no, that's, that's spot on the money, man. Spot on the money. Like, even from a personal perspective, like, you know, the, the movies reinvigorated my fandom. Um, you know, I, I've, I've always been the sort of dude, like, I've, I've had a lot of hobbies and, you know, one, I'll, I'll gravitate towards one hobby <laughs> mm-hmm. more so than the other over the years and I'll drop off with, you know, in one hobby and then I'll pick it back up again. Like, you know, the, movies, def- the, def- the movies definitely reinvigorated that for me. Like, you know, and and just even in the last 12 months, my, my comic um, – my comic book purchases has, has like, which I stopped for a couple of years, has once again started. You know what I mean? I, I'm, and the beautiful thing about it is I'm catching up on stuff that I missed out on over the years, um, even from a childhood perspective, stuff that I never got into. Now I'm, I have a vested interest in it because mm-hmm. the movies have pushed some of these characters to the forefront that I never really gave a crap about. You know what I mean? Like, like the Guardians, for instance. Like, you know, that were like nothing to me as a kid. You know what I mean? Um, you know, now I've even, gone back and read all the original Guardians, not not with this cast that they have, but with Starhawk and uh, Major Victory and Charlie Twenty Seven, like those dudes. Uh, see, there you go, there you go. That's exactly that, that. That hammers my point home. You know what I mean? And I didn't even know who the hell those characters were. I was an X Man reader when I was a kid. You know, like every. Like every good angsty teenaged boy, I wanted to be Wolverine. Um, 
but you know, it, it's 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 just seeing these stories come to life again, and new generations are grabbing onto them, and and just uh, aside from the old tales, they get these new tales, and and it's just it's genuinely awesome, man. Like I'm I'm enjoying the fact that I can relive my youth and. Like you said, I can now go back and watch some of this stuff with or read some of this stuff with a more critical eye. Not not critical in the sense of I'm looking for mistakes, but now I can go back and see what they were trying to write about when they wrote about, you know, some of these cosmic themes and tones where they were drawing on, you know, uh, uh, philosophers and things that you don't think about when you're a kid. 100%, man. Like... You know, another example of, of, you know, me turning the clock back at, like, I'd never read The Infinity Gauntlet when I was a kid. Um, I, I think by that stage, I sort of had gotten out of comics a little bit. And this is because I want to say I, do, I was sort of starting to get into basketball more. And so I'd stopped collecting um, at, at around that mark. And so I never read it. So I, I, I knew about it. I knew, you know, I obviously knew who Thanos was and, and Adam Warlock and some of the other, you know, cosmic characters and stuff like that. But I, I never, never invested the time to even bother with it. But like with the lead up to the movie, uh, the recent movie, I was like, I want to find out some more about this. You know what I mean? And your articles for the Marvel Report were great. You know, the primers that you did leading up to that. Um, you know, I read those and sort of had an idea of what to what to expect. Um, and then, you know, after the film, I thought I'd wait until after I saw the film. Because I wanted to see it with fresh eyes and not with right. Like any, Good call. Yeah, not with any sort of like. Um, you knew how it happened in the comic books that you were correct. expecting something similar on screen. I yep, wish I'd correct. had that ability. Yeah. Yeah, and and see, I, I saw it was funny, and it, it was I, in hindsight, I'm glad that I did that. Um, I bet. I saw like I saw a lot of people coming out and saying, "Oh, you know, that's not." how it should have been, and that's not my Infinity Gauntlet, that's not my Infinity War, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, all right, now I need to go read the trade paperback, you know what I mean, and and see why these people are feeling this way and see how it differs. And it differs a lot. You know, it's it's Infinity War, they just borrowed the name. The story comes from Infinity and Infinity Gauntlet. Gauntlet. Infinity War deals with Adam Warlock and Megas. It has nothing to do with anything in in that movie. Like, so I, I hate when people walk out of the theaters and do that. That's not the way it was supposed to go. Yes, it is, because this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Tell them, brother, tell them. <laughs> like, oh, you simpletons. Like, it's not supposed to be the same. If it was, why would you go to the movie? Just read the book. Don't go see yeah. it. You know? Exactly, exactly. You need to be and surprised. Yeah. yeah, exactly, man. Like, you know, you, want, you don't want to walk into these things knowing verbatim what is going to happen word for word, you know, line no, for line, scene for cool. scene, you know? Like I, I think, I think you know, if they'd done that, Thanos wouldn't have had the impact that he's had across, you know, pop culture since the release of the film. Like he spawned memes. Like he had, he's now a household name. Like he's not, he wasn't a villain that beforehand a lot of people would know. You could, you know, you could go to this person and say, okay, so who, who's Doctor Doom? And they go, oh, you know, he, he fights the Fantastic Four, and you could say. 
who's you know who's another one um yes yeah exactly you know like those big name sort of characters that that uh, people will recognize from the cartoons and, and whatnot but now like he's a thing you know what i mean he's gonna be a thing i kind of enjoy it because he's the centerpiece on my arm and it's like finally people will know who he is <laughs> but you also get the ah. Uh, did you get that after you saw the movie comment no, as well? <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I I I love I love the, the the sort of the way they blended Infinity with Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, the Infinity storyline is wicked awesome. If you haven't had the chance to read that, I love that story. Um, I have it. If if you haven't, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think I I think that we've covered damn near everything today. Yeah. Oh wait, crap. We do have a question. Oh yes, we do. From one of our from one of our Twitter followers. I could have done better about asking this to our guest, but I forgot. All right. So what <laughs> question? And uh, then then to be can... to be fair to be fair though you. you we saw we got cut short because Doc had to go on stage. So we didn't get, we, cut short. We, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We didn't cut short after an hour and fifty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Time's gone pretty quick. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, all right. So you read the question aloud, and I'll let you get the first answer in, and we'll close out after answering this question. All right. So the question is from uh, Matt Zemick. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. Um, and he says uh, the quality of NBA play and the players in the league has never been better. Uh, the league is socially aware. Uh, basketball doesn't have the CTE problem. Football does. But dubs, cabs, part four exists and the regular season means little. How should one reconcile these tensions? Good question. It's a, it's a, it's a quite a, uh, quite a uh, extensive question. What do you think, Josh? Well, <laughs> look, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I definitely, I definitely think that uh, Adam Silver and the players have a much better relationship with each other than Roger Goodell, the players and the, the union reps and, and, and the team owners. Like, let's just get that out of the way. First and foremost, even yeah. basketball owner owners, like when you look at Ron Deve, uh, uh, out in Sacramento, where he took a stand after that young man was shot, uh, holding a cell phone, um, they they canceled the basketball game out of deference to that. Um, you you also have uh, well the Sixers are kind of in their own world of crap now, but the Sixers, <laughs> Sixers have also kind of been very active in in uh, uh, relationships with players, so on and so forth. I think what you see out of out of league owners and out of uh, 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 the, the 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 executives at the NBA is a lot more in touch with what you'd hope the social reality would be. Um, the bottom line is still there, and the NBA pulls dollars. I mean, they're making money hand over fist. So it's ludicrous that the NFL cannot somehow reconcile these two th these things. And while I get 
that uh, the NBA has a policy about the anthem. Why aren't we asking, you know, there's some very important questions, you know, why aren't the players bothered by it? You know, what is it about the relationship with the executives and the players that makes this anthem policy different? These are questions that need to be asked. It's not just a blanket, well, the NBA has a policy too, so I don't know where they get off criticizing us. You know, like, that that's dumb. Um mm. You have to ask the follow-up questions because that will help explain why the reality is different. Um, I, you I know, think that's, I think that's spot on, man. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really say it any better. Um, you know, at the moment they're chalk and cheese um, for a plethora of reasons. Uh, but you know, like, uh, like Matt even said it in his, in his his initial question, like the NBA is really, really socially aware. Uh, they're fully on top of it. You know, you look at recent, recent times, like the, I think it was like this week or last week, they've, they've formed a union or whatever it is uh, f- regarding um, mental health. You know what I mean? Like they've like, they're on top, they're on top of everything. You know what I mean? And they, and they, they listen to that. They listen to their players. Like, you know, the players have a, a lot of, a lot of voice. In the in the NBA, like I, I I don't know if that's the same in the in in the NFL. It doesn't to me as an outsider looking in, it doesn't appear to be the same at all. No, it's not the same in the slightest. It's just not the same. Um, you know, Roger Goodell runs the league as an authoritarian. It's just he kind of believes that everything should revolve around and through him. Um, the latest contract negotiations where he wanted health insurance and use of a private jet for life. Sort of, yeah, I mean, look, man, Cadell has probably done more harm to the league than good, Mm. but he's also raised the league's profile. The NFL has never been more popular. You know, I mean... People who talk about the NBA catching the NFL are smoking some of the best herb on the planet. <laughs> like the NBA is a great sport. The NBA has great fan interaction, the best in all of the professional major sports. Uh, the NBA to me has the best ownership groups and the best uh, individual talents. And and in terms of what you get out of those players off the court. Eh, eh, as, as productive citizens of society, I think the NBA uh, leads. Uh, I, I know the NFL does a lot of great works. So I just think the NBA does a little bit does it a little bit better. Um, you know, but it's not ever going to catch the NFL because the NFL is the NFL. You know, it's just it is what it is. It can't be what it ain't. You know, one thing yeah. it, it satisfies our lust for violence. Uh, uh, just raw energy in its purest form. And the other one is, is a lot of fancy footwork and, and elegance. And it's like, there's a time and a place for that, but sometimes you just want to beat the shit out of something. <laughs> yeah. Look, it definitely appeals, uh, I guess, to, you know, people it replaced, on that, heavyweight on that level. Boxing. it replaced heavyweight boxing as sort of the prize sport in America. Right. Yeah, you know? like it's crazy. It's crazy. Like in, in on a sort of similar level here in Australia, the the AFL, Aussie Rules Football. Um, so boring. It's a, it's the same. It, 
it's the same thing. Like it's it just it's so boring. I tried. I tried. <laughs> I watch a lot of Premier League, and Premier League pops on on those odd channels, you know, that have Aussie rules and and so on and so forth as well. And so every now and again, after you're watching a game in the highlight show. You kind of get distracted and walk away. You come back and it's Aussie rules football on. So you're like, I'm going to sit down and watch this for a second. And it's just like, I can't figure out what they're doing. I mean, I kind of get it. It just, I don't know. I played rugby. Yeah. So I, I you know, I get, I, I sort of get it on a deeper level, if you will. But. I don't know. I just kind of feel like American football is unique. Yeah. Like, I, it's unique. Like, it's unique. I, I would say Australian rules football is unique too. Like, don't get me wrong. I guess, in you know, there are some somewhat like similar aspects to rugby, but it's a, it's a faster paced game than, than rugby is. Um, it's also that, you know, Aussie rules football, there's no pads, there's no helmets, there's like there's no protective gear. Like it's pretty, it's pretty physically demanding. Um, I know. Yeah, you know, like it's it's, and that's what I was going to say. Like you know, here going back to what we're talking about, like with the NFL's popularity here in Australia, the AFL is is the number one sport. You know, it's um, yeah. and, and the other leagues, of uh, uh, you know, other sporting codes, um, they struggle to catch it. You know what I mean? Like cricket is a summertime thing. Um, our basketball league has only just returned to prominence after, you know, 20 years of, of flipping, flopping and almost going under. Um, basketball for a long time was was a dead duck here. And now our nas- uh, the NBL, which is our National Basketball League, has um, has really picked up. Uh, and that owes a lot to the NBA, too, with us having quite a substantial amount of Aussies playing over there now where you guys live. Um but yeah, like footy, footy's an institution here, and, and I think footy. Uh, sorry, the NFL is an institution in America. Is it's long, it's been going longer than the, than the NBA as well. So it has has those legs. You know, it has longevity at, at its uh, at its sort of popular in in its roots. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I, it's, it's not for me, but I didn't grow up there and I don't know the history and, and sort of the, 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 the fundamental, uh, uh, schematics of it all, if you will, you know, understanding how and why teams are doing things is really helpful. Uh, it goes a long way towards one enjoyment of the sport, I think. So it's unfair to say that, I would, I, I absolutely hate Aussie rules football and would never find it anything more than boring. I should say I presently find it boring because I don't think I understand it fully. Right. How's right. that yeah. for honesty? I think, look, you know, I think role reversal in looking at it from my side of things, I like, I'm, I'm the same. Like, I can, I can, I can really watch an NFL game and know exactly what's going on. Um, I can appreciate it. Um, you know, I know what those guys are capable of and whatnot, and I, I've I've only I've only ever seen one, no, sorry, two Super Bowls in my life now. So, you know, I'm sure you've never seen an Aussie Rules Grand Final. So, you know, it's where you grow up and whatnot. But um, 
I guess it's a good excuse for you to come here and, and me to go there, mate. We can teach each other the finer points of both sports. I'm in. If that's if that's why we need to go there, then then we'll get it done. Well, um, I think we've gone on long enough today for our first episode. Why don't you uh, tell people, Adam, where they can find you on Twitter and, uh, I mean, what you like to tweet about what's the best way to get a hold of you should they follow you should they hate tweet you you know all that good stuff <laughs> um so yeah folks can find me at howzito and it's spelled uh h-o-w-s-i-t-o um if you want to follow me be my guest uh you're going to get a whole lot of nba takes some you'll like some you won't um I also tweet a lot of old school stuff because uh, my passion with the NBA lies in the 90s. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of that. If you're a Bulls fan, then you'll definitely want to follow me. Um, but, you know, if you don't like sports at all, then I'm going to be talking about a whole lot of comic books, movies, uh, TV shows, stuff I buy and collect, you know, from pop vinyls to sneakers. So, if any of those things are in your wheelhouse, then look me up. And if not, well, give me a wide berth. <laughs> it's all good. Go blow a goat. Um, <laughs> as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. Uh, fun fact and humble brag, both Adam and I have the blue check of yay. So if you are looking for us, we are verified on Twitter. Um, yay! You. Um, I tend to talk about Marvel, 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 and then just random crap that I retweet throughout the day. Um, when football season is on, I am talking college football. Uh, but in the off season, it's a whole hell of a lot of Marvel. I, I, Marvel movies, Marvel comics, Marvel bags, Marvel clothes, I, just Marvel. And that's 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 the main takeaway here. Um, but uh, Adam and I are going to be doing these a lot more regularly. We will get them down to a much more manageable time. This was sort of a, a just a welcome back with a bang, if you will. Um, and and we had a lot of fun doing it. And I want to thank our guest Doc Coyle for taking time out of his tour to come and join us on the show today. Man, that was really sweet of him. Uh, and, and I hope you had fun getting to talk to him, Adam. Yeah, I did, man. It was it was an eye-opener of a conversation. Like, um, you know, I found myself sort of just being absorbed in, in, in all the talk between you guys about different metal bands and stuff like that that I've never even heard of. Um, so, yeah, I found myself being a listener as well as a participant. So I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. And thanks again to Doc for uh, coming on the show. Yeah, and... Um... You know, if you've got questions for us, comments, or guests that you'd like to see us have on, please get at us and let us know. And I can't tell you enough. Go check out Doc's podcast, The X-Man. Um, a lot of interesting stuff on there, like he said. It's not necessarily anecdotes of what not to do for him. It's other people telling their story. It's the lives of musicians and what they've gone through to get to this point of their career. Um and, and how some of them are readjusting to life after leaving either 
a very successful band or a band where they didn't find success. So it's uh look, man, it's it's raw is what it is. You 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 don't usually get podcasts with just brutal honesty, you know, people saying, well, this is sort of the way things were positively going and then it went wrong. And I, I just think that the the world needs more of those podcasts and Doc delivers on that end. So uh, please don't just listen to him on our show. Go check him out on his own turf um, at the X-Man, which you can find out more about in his profile at Doc, D-O-C, Coil, C-O-Y-L-E. Uh, Doc and Coil, D and C are both capitalized in Doc and Coil, um, but that's his name. You can check him out. Um, all his info's in his bio. So uh, thanks again to Doc for coming on the show. And I want to give a big shout out to a buddy of mine um, who I've known for a very long time and who is just one of those friends that whenever you call, he picks up the phone. Um. Never once has this guy not been there for me when I needed him. Never once has this guy not put me ahead of him, um, probably to his own detriment on many occasions. But I consider him a partner in crime. I consider him a very good friend. And I know he's somebody that's well on his way to being a major success in life. And that's our producer, Scott Johnston. Scott, why don't you say hello to everybody, buddy? Hey, guys. Hey, he's there. Hey, I am alive. I did not fall asleep. Sometimes you fall asleep. I was was dang close a few times, guys. It's like it was one time that I got caught. Yeah. You... you, you guys, you guys made this one a long one, so I would, no, seriously guys, it was really interesting to listen to, uh, congratulations on the show, welcome back, and excited to be a part of it, and thanks for the kind words, Josh, we've been doing this a long time, and I hope, uh, you guys can find some success with it, so. I, ho- I hope so too, and if we do, I have no doubt that you'll be a big part of that reason, Scotty boy, so uh, for myself and Adam, I want to thank you for uh, being willing to sort of record us all and make sure that we even have the opportunity to do this podcast, because without you, there's we're not, we're not having this episode right now, so Scott, you are the man. Hey, I appreciate it, bro- brother, and um, you know... Let's just hope Skype behaves this time. Right? Um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Any any words, Adam? Yeah, thanks, Scott, man. Like, I've only just, you know, heard your voice for the first time, as well as Josh today. And, um, you know, without you, the show, you know, can't can't happen. So I appreciate you doing your thing, man, and, and, uh, and your patience for us prattling on for almost two hours, however long it's been. Uh, that's that's all right. I'll, I'll whip you guys into shape here pretty soon. Good man. Good man. So um, with that, we're going to get on out of here. Um, like you can follow. Well, I want to give one more shout out real quick to our sponsor, Blog Talk Radio. They are amazing. They are great people and they do great work uh, bringing podcasts to the masses. Um, so I want to thank them for the opportunity to do this as well. Um, so with that said, uh, this is third in nerd and, uh, we will be back in the future with another guest and other topics. We'll start getting a more 
complete schedule giving you t- uh, dates and guests. But for now, just pay attention to the Twitter feed of myself and Adam, uh, where we'll be announcing most of the goings on um, and, and until we get it down into a rhythm. And then you can expect end of show announcements like most other podcasts do. So please forgive us as we... Uh, uh, as we uh, uh, dust off our shelves and 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 pardon our dust, in other words, we're moving. We're and, moving in. And also, officially, and you guys are free to use this tagline, but since you guys have not said it, and I put it at the end of every description, officially, everybody who's listening, thank you for not passing on Third and Nerd. Yes, thank you. I like that. I like nice. that. Let's use it. Nice. Let's it. Um. So, anyhow, uh, thank you for not passing on Third and Nerd. I am Josh Webb. He is Adam Howes, our producer Scott Johnston, and for our guest today, Doc Coyle. I want to thank everyone for listening to this ec- this special episode, this reboot, this reinvigoration of Third and Nerd. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys.